You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. New chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet! The next round of Rock Fight. Bum, bum, yes. bum, bum. This is more like. And this week it's on something good for you. Hey, hey. I'm one of your two co hosts, Alex Stiff, and sitting beside me, as always, is the one and only Captain Nunn. What's up, everybody? And we have the hostess with the mostest, Chris Morrison. You goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the decider. If you're very, very confused as to what's going on right now, hop on over to the Couch Brotatoes feed and listen to part one of this rock fight we've been doing. We've already finished round one. Something good for you is going to be round two. And if we've got to, we'll pop over to a round three back on Couch Brotatoes. But I don't know. We might we might be able to knock this out in this episode, considering how many we did last time. And we had the preamble beforehand. Yeah. So if you uh, want to hear what the rules are listen to the previous episode on the couch potatoes feed and yes i think we're just gonna jump right into uh this uh next round yes quick, yes. So, quick recap so uh our remaining bands from our original 32 are the ramones kiss the misfits david bowie tom petty or brady whatever you want to say <laughs> <laughs> the dwarves thin lizzie and turbo negro Black Sabbath, the Rolling Stones, the Stooges, the Who, the Beatles, Rush, Queen, and Led Zeppelin. And we're just debating. All killers. And we're all killers. debating on as to who's better than the other. Yep. Now, the advancement of the rules, because you guys came out with a clean eight on each side. Mm-hmm. If one person overtakes the other and picks, the next round you will have to flip a coin to decide who you're defending. Okay. Okay. Just to keep it fair, because there's not four of us, and there's two of us and a decider. Understood. <laughs> I love making games. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start with the hard one. All right. The number one seed, the Ramones, mm. versus Led Zeppelin. Now, last time we decided, so, fellas, call it in the air. Tails. Ooh. Tails. Defend or offense. I'll go offense on this one. All right. Make your case. The Ramones. If I hadn't said enough the previous one, I'll recap myself a little bit now. They are number one seed because, you know, you may think, you know, Kisses is number one. Or, you know, even in some eras, the Misfits or the Super Suckers. But at the end of the day, what the Ramones created transcends their own genre. From the look of the band, to the style of the band, to the music they play, you can hear that in almost any genre today. It's very hard to find someone that wasn't influenced in some way, shape, or form by the Ramones or a band that was also directly influenced by the Ramones. Even more so than Kiss, and I would arguably say even more so than what? Led Zeppelin is what we're doing? Yeah. I would even arguably say even more so there because the Ramones were obtainable. You had to reach a certain skill set to play Led Zeppelin songs. You could pick up a guitar and immediately play Blitzkrieg Bop. Mm 
you could immediately figure out what beat on the brad is the band became so much more accessible to budding musicians to put their hands on a guitar and learn and eventually progress to be able to play led zeppelin kind of stuff but there for a budding guitarist that's something to strive to be but you can't immediately obtain that you listen to a ramon song and realize oh wow as long as i know some bar chords and i know how to play it with some conviction and really turn up that dial and get that guitar tone i can say way much more than i can learning all the intricate things and for me as a guitar player johnny was way more influential than jimmy and Jimmy, this is tough too because uh, Ramones are just as influential on me as Led Zeppelin was, but it was Led Zeppelin that made me want to pick up the guitar. And there are some accessible riffs from uh, Led Zeppelin's catalog that can be played by, you know, the layman, like say, Whole Lot of Love. It's just three notes just over and over again throughout the whole damn song for the most part. And much like the Ramones, they transcend genres, they transcend, uh, you know, what labels or what they're perceived as sometimes it's heavy metal sometimes it's blue sometimes it's acid rock this that and the other but uh led zeppelin was much more than all that whereas like ramones they're all identified more with like punk rock and stuff like that i see them more as you know more than a punk rock band obviously and uh, they have great songs and i will give uh, the ramones the fact that they have uh, you know better songs a lot of the times than uh, led zeppelin uh, did because like with led zeppelin sometimes it was more about a vibe than it was about the song itself because you've got four individuals with four like really you know deep skill sets and that's what's fascinating about led zeppelin they continue to blow my mind with uh their music with their uh what they're able to do musically whereas the ramones they continue to blow my mind uh on re-listens with uh their songwriting abilities what they were to do with their uh what they were able to do with such little resources at their uh, disposal you're not helping your case i feel like that this makes is them hard more, i feel this like that hard. makes them more important because they were using so little in creating so much more but it took a led bands like led zeppelin and bands like black sabbath and bands like yes for even ramones to come out and uh, do their thing because you know led zeppelin became you know an ultimate ultra famous arena rock act and at the end of the day that's what every band wants to be i don't care what everybody i don't care what your aspirations are when you first pick pick up a guitar i'm talking about when you're first starting to play or whatever you want those big dreams you want the girls to pay attention to you're, you want this that and the other and uh i think with uh, led zeppelin there's more of like the uh there's that you know there is that kind of that uh rock god kind of unattainability that still kind of makes you wonder a little bit too you know there's like that thing like that image of jimmy page with the double neck uh guitar playing a uh, stairway to heaven is still like the most iconic guitar image to me and that's the moment that made me want to go i want to pick up a guitar and do that you know see i'll agree on all those points but one key thing you said that i'll have to 100 percent oppose is you said something along the lines of it took bands like um led zeppelin for there to be ramones i disagree with that wholeheartedly because the ramones much like sex pistols were a rebellion against what they considered the dinosaur rock the acid rock and led zeppelin perfectly fell into that place so maybe out of a anti-led zeppelin sure the ramones were born but it was more bands like the beatles and beach rock and power pop that created the ramones there would have still been a version of the ramones even if led zeppelin had not been around led zeppelin was not a catalyst for the ramones well just the idea of like uh it's kind of like you know you, you have uh you know 
I'm going to get rid of really nerdy wheeze here. Like, Let's say, do it. <laughs> say, of like, all bands, these two deserve it. <laughs> it's like in the Batman lore, for example, like you wouldn't have a Joker character without the idea of a Batman or anything like that, you know, or at least like in the lore, that's kind of how it's uh, portrayed. Or right, how it's, of course. And where it's like, you know, you, you need this to oppose this and you needed all this dinosaur, quote unquote, dinosaur rock to kind of give birth to uh, a, you know, bands in the late 70s like the Ramones that were doing this, that, and the other. It's kind of like you wouldn't have grunge without hair metal, you know, because you needed something to oppose the hair metal that was getting oversaturated and things like that. So what you're saying is enough people did not like Led Zeppelin and created an entire subgenre, and that became important also. But you, but you had <laughs> millions. It's like, well, it's like any band that gets, you know, that gets millions of followers and stuff like that. You know, Led Zeppelin's up there with like the top 10 selling bands of all time, so yeah. they're not hurting for numbers. Or no, anything no, no, like no. that, but in all that, you're going to get you know enough people that are uh, uh, you know that much against it to really go out and do something different with it. Because again, they can't play these songs on drums, they can't play these songs on guitar. But for guys like me that wanted to aspire to be like that, I see musicians like that, and they make me wanted to they uh, wanted me to improve my musicality, which is different from songwriting and things like that too. But I'd say Jimmy Page could put a tune together. Not like a pop song or anything like that, but that's kind of what made Led Zeppelin great too. Is they didn't write pop songs; they wrote blues songs. They had orchestrations. They had uh, they took uh, Middle Eastern influences and made uh, songs out of that or pieces of music out of that. You know what the Ramones had? What four chords and a fucking great vocalist? You know what uh, Led Zeppelin had? <laughs> a badass double neck Gibson fucking uh, SG looking guitar and dragon pants. All sizzle, no steak. Oh, there's plenty of steak, my friend. <laughs> oh, man, that beefy Les, that Les Paul tone on Led Zeppelin too. that is all steak. That $100 Mosrite guitar through fucking shitty amps creating the sound of a generation. And Led Zeppelin didn't do that with the, the Marshall uh, and Orange? Hell, that first album was all uh, just a tiny little Supro amp and a fucking Telecaster and a Fuzz. Yeah, that is impressive. <laughs> I will say these are perfect arguments. I'm not a big fan of the Ramones, but that was a perfect argument. Uh, as Led Zeppelin, with its catalog alone, if we were just going catalog alone, would mm. win this. However, uh, the Ramones doing their own thing with a different sound. Uh, I do see where you're coming from from the fact that if Led Zeppelin wasn't around, would we still have the Ramones? Hard to say, because uh, they both exist. Yeah. Uh, however, there is no technicality in my mind about the Ramones, so that gives them a special sound. Mm -hmm. Now, they do have a popularity that is there. Um, however, you know, with Led Zeppelin... It can be a niche thing now of days as it's kind of switched on its head. Led Zeppelin was popular when Ramones came out. Ramones are popular now more than Led Zeppelin. So now they're diametrically opposed just by time itself. Right. However, I got to say just for rock and roll itself mm -hmm. as a whole, all the branches, Led Zeppelin would go forward. I quit! <laughs> Led Zeppelin had a ton of branches. They were uh, a whole wizard's tree, just like that Led Zeppelin 4 album. Whew. 
my number one, my number one seed. The one seed. My one seed. Lost two. What was uh, Led Zeppelin on? Uh, that was like number some, like I've lower had some seed. good times and I've had some bad times. <laughs> We've all had our share. <laughs> Led Zeppelin was a nine. By the nine seed. <laughs> but Oof. you got to remember, everyone listening, the list these guys came up with. <laughs> are magnificent not as good as mine but they, <laughs> they are good <laughs> tune in next time when we go to the country version of this game with me and cap yep. yes. and i crushed this long-haired fuck <laughs> we'll send his see. ass back to the voles <laughs> oh man they're all gonna come from tennessee too yep we'll burn some books to celebrate <laughs> shit <laughs> now go voles go voles just cry <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next round goes to Cap. All right. You must defend Queen from Kiss. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Stadium Rock versus Stadium Rock. <laughs> so the great thing about Kiss is that they put on a show with, uh, you know, they become characters on stage. These larger than life personas where they're almost monsters, creatures, if Cat you man. will. Catmen. Creatures of the night, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Cat, the demon, the star child, the spaceman, all these iconic characters. Queen had a, an icon of a front man without any makeup, without, he was just Freddie Mercury, he was just Freddie Mercury, he was just the uh, the ultimate rock guy, the ultimate uh, rock and roll front man, the ultimate, you know, arena rock front man. We had this conversation in the last episode about how Queen is not a, not necessarily a rock and roll band, but they had rock and roll songs. I disagree with that because they were a great rock and roll band with they uh, when they put those rock and roll songs together. You tell me a crazy little thing called Love isn't a great rock and roll song played by a great rock and roll band. That's just hmm, any anything against that. That's just ludicrous to me, you ludicrous, know. I hear you. Ludicrous. You know. <laughs> Coming this week during Ludicrousmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But no, with uh with Queen um it's uh, it's you know, it's stadium rock, but up to the nth degree. Maybe not with so, without so much pyro, but you just watch. You know, it's all about the songs and the vocal performance. People are reacting to the vocal performance more than anything, and the guitar playing, and the bombastic playing of all these players because they were all great players too, and all of their parts helped take this, all these songs to the next level. And you know, it, that's the the main thing too. It's all about all these songs and how. Uh, s- singing and how uh single and there's a lot of uh, great melodies that everybody could sing along to or chant along to not unlike kiss but probably i would say more in a grandiose way we will rock you you know we are the champions you know uh sing everybody sings fucking bohemian rap city and fucking karaoke and shit like that about killing men and shit like that but you know it's stadium rock to the nth degree with all power vocals and harmonies and big guitars Okay, pretty solid. All right. Alex, tell me a story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even though you have Freddie Mercury, who is a larger-than-life character, much like David Bowie, I can very much draw parallels between the two of them just being that larger-than-life individual character that didn't need to necessarily put on makeup, but to say they weren't putting on a character is still a bit of a stretch. I would say Kiss, Bowie, and Freddie Mercury all put on personas before they go on stage. They just may not put on grease paint and costumes as much as Kiss did. But if you want to say that the Freddie Mercury on stage running around, you know, prancing, being the rock god he is on stage, if 
you want to say that was him 24-7, you got another thing coming. He puts that on for the stage just as much as... Did you as- just reference Judas yes, fucking I Priest? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I reference Ludacris. He can reference Judas Priest. <laughs> They still put on their own version of their costume. The only difference is, is people could recognize Freddie Mercury in person, whereas unless Gene stuck his tongue out or Paul you know, said, hey, people, no one was going to know who they were outside of makeup, really, you know, unless it's in certain areas. But either way. But when it comes down to that, Kiss did afford themselves a much larger footprint on the rock and roll psyche due to the fact they did create the characters. So not only did you have the bombastic show and the great songs like Queen had, now all of a sudden exactly what you said, you've got these four characters that are cool enough to warrant their own Marvel comic book where they're fighting Doctor Doom, one of the coolest Marvel uh, villains, especially around that time period when Spider-Man and Fantastic Four were dominating the sales. Doctor Doom was smack dab in the middle and Kiss is now fighting Doctor Doom. This is fucking cool. So you had the kids latching onto it. You had the teenagers that loved the, the, the idea of, you know, got love for sale and ladies room and, you know, all these kind of promiscuous kind of songs and then the girls liked it because of the, you know, extreme nature and the little bit of rebellion to it. So we, all of a sudden, they cast this wide net and created that Kiss army. Queen didn't quite do that in my book. And so that's where I'm kind of pulling my main argument from is star power and the ability to leverage what you have. Kiss not only had the great songs like Queen did, if I'm using that argument, I don't necessarily like Queen, but I can't say they had bad songs. So whatever. So if we want to say Kiss and Queen both have good songs, they both have great stage presence. Well, then Kiss still leveraged their opportunities better by making themselves way more marketable and imprinting themselves on the youth. Freddie Mercury could have done it, but he just didn't. I think Queen's doing that more often these days. Ever since that movie came out, kids love Queen. Oh, yeah. Like, every little kid that I teach knows at least 10 Queen songs because of that movie. They have, like, a second, like, rebirth. If you go to, Sp- they have a, if you go to Spotify, there's... I'll pull up. I'll do the Spotify game again now. I'll pull up. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it was uh, roughly five hundred million for Kiss mm. on uh, "I Was Made for Loving You." Let me yeah. pull up Queen Spotify now. Love how he's using Spotify for Kiss specifically, right? And K- Queen's got. Let's see. In the billions category, another one bites the dust. Bohemian Rhapsody, "Don't Stop Me Now." And under pressure, four in the billions club. But under pressure has David Bowie. I mean, it's still a great song. Kiss never had to pull an additional artist outside of their own little pool. I mean, Desmond Child co-wrote fucking uh, "I Was Made for Love." You're right, most, but, but, uh, but it wasn't like Kiss featuring this artist. Okay, one song in the Billions Club, on top of like the other three that they have in the Billions Club already, too. <laughs> but All you right. can't say that, regardless of numbers, though. No, goddamn it! <laughs> 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 regardless of numbers, I've made my rock and roll all night is probably just as much up there as "We Will Rock You" in popularity looking away from Spotify numbers. I've made my decision. (laughs) (laughs) Great points with, with queen. Okay. As a fan myself, I know they're in the billions category on Spotify. I know they're 
their history, their whole full history of discography. I know that every person wrote a fucking song on the album <laughs> individually. And I know they all have masters and doctorates except for Freddie Mercury. Right. One's a goddamn dentist. One worked <laughs> yeah. for NASA. Exactly. <laughs> so bunch of nerds. Yeah, they're a bunch of fucking That's nerds. That's why they're great. <laughs> However, <laughs> with Freddie Mercury dying, it cuts them down too quickly. Now, this isn't going against quality. Now, this is going against quantity of quality. Mm. So, with that being said, you know, Kiss, another stadium rock band. They put on a persona. They set the stage for the masks, the pyrotechnics, very technicality when it comes to putting on a great stage show. Van Halen even did that shit. Okay, they said where they, where they got it from. Well, that's that's on. <laughs> they, they said they would watch Kiss stuff on TV and mm-hmm. be like, "Hey, I, I want to do that, but better." Yep. Okay. Now, granted, Kiss was limited on what they could do. They couldn't drop a fucking drum kit from the sky or some shit, or <laughs> shove tried. a or shove a cord up Gene Simmons' ass and drop him in. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, and then you have Live Aid. Live Aid is the show, was the show of the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Some of the greatest bands all over the world playing at once. Not Kiss on Live Aid, but. <laughs> nope. But Kiss. Queen was on that one, I Kiss, think. Yeah, that was the Live Aid performance. Kiss is the army. It mm. is their best shows, American made, American rock. And I got to go with Garth Brooks on this. Kiss te- Kiss no. Texas. Garth Brooks. <laughs> That's a pull. Jesus. Garth Brooks is a huge Kiss fan. Yeah, uh, I know. He did a cover of Hard Luck Woman and actually played it with Kiss on, I think, the Jay Leno show. So Kiss takes uh, Queen Damn. on this one. I wasn't expecting that one. It's I about, thought Kiss about, was about, arguments. about the flounder on that one. It's about arguments. <laughs> All right. But I will say the bass player for Queen could probably stab the fuck out of the bass player for fucking Kiss. <laughs> and, and just, another one bites the dust, huh, motherfucker? <laughs> Steamboat's wearing down the street with his rimple way down the... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Our next one. Uh, Alex. Yes. The Misfits mm-hmm. versus Canada's own. Oh my God, Rush! This is going to be so oh man, <laughs> such a weird debate. All right, I raise well. you Misfits. I raise you twenty one twelve. Would you part just stomping people to death <laughs> with this kicks? <laughs> when we want to talk about uh, punk rock being the antithesis of you know cut the fat you know don't bore us get to the chorus you know I don't think another P90X band X kind of music you know oh yeah <laughs> I don't I don't think another band exemplifies a good example of that than being Rush talk about the over gratuitous drums and guitar just to the point of being like okay. It's time to kind of chill it out some. The Misfits, they will give you... How do you get to Cardigan Hall, asshole? <laughs> Practice. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now I wish I'm making the argument that Cap has to decide. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you something, you punk motherfucker. My problem is I'm the one that sits and listens to the bass, like Steve, listens to the debates like fucking Shannon Sharp, like... Uh, y'all oh, that's what my I'm sitting here face. doing too. I'm just like, uh-huh. Shannon Sharp, y'all, y'all done yet? Yeah. <laughs> y'all done? Skip. <laughs> but no, so the, the misfits, oh, you know, so again, trimming the fat, they just, they get right to it. They give you exactly what you want. You want catchy guitar riffs at a blistering pace with catchy, good vocals. And their influences, you know, span from, you know, old, you know, Elvis style singing, you know, and it's like, 
it's an interesting concept of providing that fast punk rock sound with that kind of croonery Elvis kind of, you know, Roy Orbison type voice. So they were kind of creating their own thing. And through all that, again, you when you get to the point of like having Metallica covering your songs, I'm not using that as like a main bench point, but they were one of the biggest 80s bands. And for them to kind of shine a spotlight on a band that to the point was kind of unknown at the time. That's kind of a big deal. And Cliff was always wearing a Misfit shirt on stage. You know, they were really campaigning for this band because Danzig didn't want to bring up the Misfits at all. He had Mother. He had Twisted K. And he's like, I'm doing just fine by myself with this new metal world. Fuck this band. And Jerry and Doral are sitting here going, but guys, wait. <laughs> and this, And it's all just attributed to... Again, the staying power of the music, because if no one gave a shit about that era, only people would talk about is Danzig and Sam Hain. But the Misfits created something. They created this aura about them. They created an image. What what did Rush do? They created eight-minute songs. Mm. <laughs> See. I had to look square at Chris at that one. <laughs> and I'd, he's I'd like... Hear, hear the, the, uh, the jaw the, pop. pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, see, uh, Rush created the eight eight minute songs, but we talk about how bands like Led Zeppelin and Queen in that time period were kind of like godlike and you know kind of unobtainable. Even though Rush was a powerhouse of a of a you know of musical you know ability, you know they were just like they you know everybody aspires to play like Neil Peart on drums. Everybody aspires to play like Geddy Lee on bass, and to an extent, lesser extent, Alex Lifeson on guitar because he was competing against guys like Jimmy Page and Peter Frampton and guys like that. Satan, Satan, Satan. Satan. Yes, <laughs> the one four, but, one four. But well, but Rush in that uh, amongst all that, there was still kind of an attainability to what they did because they always they never put themselves over as like huge rock gods or anything like that. They would always give the fans their time, even though they were super famous. They would just be guys in fucking like jeans and t-shirts, you know, just wanting to, you know, play fantasy baseball in the back of the stage while everybody else that they were touring with was like getting groupies or doing drugs or whatever. They were just like guys that just wanted to hang and stuff like that. And that's one thing that fans connected with. Like we are also, that Rush was always like, we are also outcasts like you. We like reading weird shit like Iron Rand and comic books and shit like that too. Well, see, that's my other point too is yes, yeah, they may have had all that, but the Misfits created an outlet for the folks that actually liked horror and true crime that gave them an outlet for a brand new band you listen when you give a kid like that rush and they're like okay yeah cool they're kind of singing about you know dragons and shit but like the misfits are singing about real life shit they're singing about who killed Marilyn. you know they're singing about the jfk assassination they're singing about halloween they're singing about real shit you know so it's like that's a little bit more visceral to a point and that kind of latches on to the psyche a bit more well there's also an honesty to uh like or like a real uh there's a human element to like a lot of like rush tunes like i use the uh, spirit of the radio a lot because it's my favorite rush song where he talks about how uh what you hear listening to on the radio speaks to you as an uh, individual and how you the individual interprets you know what you're listening to what's i'll think of the i'll think of these specific lyric jack black talks about it in the rush documentary that i think every music fan should watch whether you're a fan of the band or not it's a fun documentary to watch and it kind of like you know humanizes the guys in rush you know very well too where like uh there's one lyric in spirit of the radio where it's all about a one like actually i'll pull it up real quick and uh, while i'm doing that what I'm getting, what I'm getting at with my point as I'm looking it up is that there's, uh, it's not like there's a lot of uh, you know historical context and things like that with Rush lyrics, but there's also you know 
it's all written by uh, most of the, all the lyrics post Fly By Night were uh, written by Neil, Neil Peart. And it was up to Getty Lee. The fucking drummer? The fucking drummer. The drummer is writing songs? This is an immediate disqualification. <laughs> Let's see. You must really hate Genesis too, huh, asshole? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. They're not in my fucking top 16, were they? <laughs> but yeah, this is kind of how I think, feel like a lot of us kind of uh, listen to, uh, just kind of perceive music in general that we listen to on the radio or what any outlet we get. It's like all this machinery making modern music can still be open-hearted. Not so coldly charted. It's really just a question of your honesty. One likes to believe in the freedom of music, but glittering prizes and endless compromises shatter the illusion of integrity. And that's just kind of how we look at our idols, like your our Led Zeppelins and Queens. Randy Marsh has that tattoo like that. on his back. Integrity. <laughs> integrity. <laughs> yes, that's the thing about Rush, too. There was always... <sighs> integrity <laughs> well i would repeat misfits lyrics but that would immediately get us banned <laughs> S- specifically about jackie o <laughs> <laughs> or babies or mothers or Marilyn monroe <laughs> <laughs> but that's my point being is you know it's rush, more surreal rush, rush is singing about glorifying what's being picked by corporate media to be picked on radio they're glorifying that. The misfits are glorifying the underbelly. They're glorifying the true misfits. I don't know if it's glorifying what radio picks as much as it's uh, it's up to your interpretation, but kind of seeing what seeing uh, your idols kind of uh, it's like that glittering prizes and endless compromises like say bands that we love making you know art making drastic left turns for you know this amount of gain or like you know like it's uh, trying to think of like specific examples, I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head. But everybody has that band that made that weird turn for like uh, a really specific gain on their part that wasn't you know very you know popular. <sighs> yeah, or not popular, but wasn't like you know uh, wasn't true to what they represented when they started off. Like they have to compromise their integrity to take the next step, and that's kind of what uh, I feel like uh, Neil's expressing with that lyric in particular. And there's stuff like that all throughout the later part of Rush's career, and uh, Rush and and Neil in particular is very like introspective too, so it's very cerebral, and it's kind of like one of those things where you like uh, you listen to lyrics like that and you kind of uh you know it's up to your interpretation as a listener it's not as you know uh cut and dry like a misfits record is but that's what makes rush music to me uh interesting you know well rush it is very uh, a technical style of music yeah now they do have influences of all kinds like led zeppelin did mm-hmm. uh the misfits you do bring up a good point of their style and the whole subgenre genre they created, mm-hmm. uh, which is fantastic. Um, and but to say they you know, Rush didn't go that same route with songs like Subdivisions, which is a, a song about complacency and how it's fucking awful. Uh, you know, then they had the song Huck Finn rolling down the river with the black guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this but, was never saying about that, <laughs> but they would. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. It's hard to say because misfits sit in such a very, I don't want to say niche. Oh, it's very niche. But, yeah. like a, but a niche market. Uh, but the style they they have is very one in a million. Mm-hmm. Okay, especially with the look. the And they stumbled into all of it, essentially. Yeah, because they all look like they fucking work at a gym. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Two of them worked in a machine shop. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, even with Danzig breaking off, doing his thing, um, it, they, it's still a sound. Yeah. Misfits is a very specific sound. To me, when I listen to it, Rush is prog rock. Period. That's Even to the lyrics. I, even yeah, to the lyrics. It's Mark Twain and the lyrics and yeah. all that kind of stuff, now, too. Um, but with them fitting so small in a niche market mm-hmm. and Rush, you know, even with the long songs they have, they still have fucking hits. Like, I'm just popular fucking hits with, like, Tom Sawyer. Must I remind you of the sold-out Misfits shows and arenas during the reunions? Can I remind, well, you? <laughs> Can I remind <laughs> you of South Park opening for Rush? <laughs> yeah. Rush still pl- packing out arenas and stuff like that till Neil, uh, Neil Peart died. So was the Misfits technically? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, that's why they're on these lists. <laughs> it's not about numbers anymore, guys. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> I have to go with Tom Sawyer. Okay. Ah, I knew that was coming. That's why I was like, Misfits are packing out arenas. <laughs> but one of my top 10 songs is by Misfits. <laughs> Uh, was it Helen? Helena? Oh, Helena. Helena. Mm-hmm. Great song. One of the if, best songs I've ever heard in my goddamn life. <laughs> I wonder if Rush has any... Uh, no, they don't, they're not in the Billions Club yet. I was curious. What's the highest for them? Tom Sawyer. 200 million. Yeah, sounds about right. Ha! Ah, so Kiss is beating Rush! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you may come down. I know. Two, two people who opened up a trip for each other. All right. Our next one. Now... British Invasion 1 versus British Invasion 2. Oh, boy. Okay. Defend David Bowie against the Beatles. <laughs> oh. Stop, man. <laughs> hey, Jude. <laughs> David Bowie defended at George Harrison. I'll kick your ass <laughs> straight to hell. <laughs> so I'm going first? Yes. All right. Tell me what this one-eyed star man can do. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie was more than just a front man. Mm-hmm. He was an artist. All the way down from the music to the way he crafted himself. Everything. He was an artist through and through. Very much in the likes of Prince. Where Prince was very much an artist through and through. And there are very few people like that. Now, some people can go like, you know, oh, well, the Beatles had four of them. Well, you had four people that worked really well together to create a specific type of music. M- much to what you say, Chris, I disagree. I think the Beatles are much stronger as a unit than they are separated. I don't like as much um, Lennon stuff or McCartney stuff as I do traditional Beatles. Bowie doesn't have that problem. No matter where he puts his thumbprint, it's going to be quality. Even with Queen. I'm not a big fan of Queen, but I still like Under Pressure because Bowie's part of it. He elevates that song. He elevates anything he's a part of. And not only can he do fun acoustic stuff, he can also do kind of trippy cosmic things. And then all of a sudden when the 80s pop in, just dance. And he's giving out these really big dance hits. The dude is a chameleon, not even just with his physical style, but with his musical style. Talk about adapt. He adapted to almost every genre that fit him and was the king. He just killed it. So for me, the Beatles, they had their, you know, early doo-wop kind of, you know, boy band give the time phase. And then they kind of went through their little bit more rock and roll-ish phase. And then they went straight into their hippie phase. And then this is called quits. It's just like, okay, well, all of that kind of fits. You don't have the wide range of different stylistic choices that you do with David Bowie, truly showing the mark of an artist in my book. 
I would argue that the Beatles have just as much of uh, or have just as many styles as Bowie did, especially in their uh, isolated studio uh, days. Whereas, like David Bowie was to uh, adapted to everything the Beatles created while they were recording, whether it's you know fuzz rock on uh, you know a lot of the revolver stuff or like a blending orchestras with rock and roll music on Sergeant Peppers or uh, kind of putting together a quote unquote acid rock, if you will, with like a lot of the Sergeant Pepper stuff yet again, I'd argue that they, uh, that the first recorded a uh, heavy metal song is still Helter Skelter. You put that on, you tell me that's not a heavy metal song for that's 1968. It's not a heavy metal song for 1968. It's, it, 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 compared to a lot of other songs from 1968, I'd say it most definitely is, especially down to that, that scratchy vocal from Paul McCartney on that track. That's a hard rock song through and through at the very least. And with, um, you know, setting trends as Bowie might have uh, set a trend uh, himself too. He never followed any trends. He created yeah, trends. I was gonna say he was very much a creator and paved the way too. And the Beatles did too. And the people are follow and people are following in the Beatles' footsteps, much like uh, David Bowie's uh, footsteps. But as far as an individual, probably more uh, individual artists are fo- uh, following David Bowie's footsteps, where bands are following the Beatles' footsteps still to this very day. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of picking and choosing different elements of Beatles material much like you know with David Bowie stuff however you see more people kind of pulling from early 70s to mid 70s David Bowie kind of stuff whether it's then white Duke dance rock era Bowie or uh, Ziggy Stardust you know uh, hard glam rock David Bowie era more and then with the Beatles people are pulling from you know as as tight acoustic stuff as like say Blackbird to the hard rock stuff like Helter Skelter or um, you know even like the trippy uh, revolver kind of studio trickery that the folks have been uh, using for years. I mean hell, I imagine uh, Tony Visconti that uh, produced all the uh, David Bowie records and all those T Rex records pulled a lot from all those uh, Beatles records too. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. But, but that's also the thing too, though, is when the Beatles were a thing, you also had the arguments of like, well, what was the better, uh, the Beatles or the Monkees? So you already had a band that was closely proximating the Beatles. Well, there was nothing to draw that comparison with with Bowie during any of his generations. You couldn't go, oh, well, you know, who do you like better, Bowie or... There, there wasn't the next thing. Bowie was Bowie. You know, you, yes. could, you could even go, who'd you like better, Ramones or Sex Pistols? You but, know, so it's like there's so many things. I mean, look at this entire conversation we're doing. But when we want to really break it down, the Beatles had a lot of copycat style bands like what you were saying. I can't really think of anyone that really came close to being compared to Bowie other than previous Bowie. We still had like glam rock front men that uh, kind of, you know, of a lot more obscure bands in England in the 70s that were using the David Bowie myth, like T-Rex, for example. That's a lot of Bowie and like what T- what Mark Boland was doing. And, but uh, would you really do a conversation of Boland versus Bowie? That could be a fun one, quite frankly. There's, they, have the same, they have the same producer and everything, too. Similar guitar sounds, even though Mark Boland played all the guitar on all his records, too. I think yeah. there's a lot of... I would say there's a lot of comparison with, like, like to the point I was making earlier, like T-Rex pulled a lot from, like, the Ziggy Stardust era uh, Bowie whereas like say I would maybe uh, from like Thin White Duke era Bowie you have folks like uh, Brian Eno pulling from that era whereas mm-hmm. like everybody was it's like the Van Halen conversation everybody was like trying to copy the Beatles well, in the right. 60s and without cutting you off that was going to be kind of my wrapping up point on my argument was the Beatles were much easier to copy 
you had to have a certain amount of talent to come close to being a Bowie comparison. Well, with that Beatles uh, point, you were talking about like their garage days. Their, uh, I saw her stand in their era Beatles. Everybody was copying that version. It's not a lot of folks were like, uh, maybe they were taking uh, cues from like their production eras, like flipping tapes over on like uh, the Revolver stuff or the Sgt. Pepper stuff. All the studio trickery, but nobody really like duplicated it, even to the, even to this day. Do you think maybe that's attributed to them not doing as many live shows? That's hard to say. It's hard to say. But uh, no, there's. I think it, when it comes down to like uh, the le- it's that whole thing we talk about with legacy itself. It's a hard comparison, but mm-hmm. the Beatles are it's, with both artists. It still uh, permeates to any new artist today. But with as a group setting, the Beatles have been more impactful. I think. Especially with 16-year-old girls. <laughs> I will say this is getting harder by the second. <laughs> I think good arguments on both sides on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I will say because David Bowie is – it's just him. At the end of the day, it is just David Bowie. We don't think about his backup band or anything like that. I couldn't name probably a single backup member I've ever seen with him except that one time the dude from the Stooges played with him. <laughs> I was say, I can name it because I'm a nerd like that. But, Mick Ronson. But uh, <laughs> There it is. I'll never remember that. <laughs> uh, but you are right. You know, David Bowie is a one in a million um, front man, but he is just the only one on the stage almost, it seems like. Uh, he, he pulls kind of like the band. You know, he's got someone back in the back they're all hired guns yeah but they are good and his songs and his style make it so unique that when you see or hear a david bowie song you know what you're getting you know what he's about the beatles with being all over the place from the 60s 70s you know passes they're they're good almost as good as the monkeys (laughs) And they, there it is. There's my and they don't play their fucking instruments. Nope. <laughs> but they are they are copied a lot mm-hmm. with the say uh, the Hollies, Dave Clark Five, well, and stuff like that. But the sound they have in the beginning is not the, is not consistent enough for after they do Rubber Soul. Right. So Rubber Soul's kind of like the end of like that era, and that's I think. and that's a problem. And this would be another good show to do if it was. Are they better together? Mm. That'd be a better show. Yeah. I'd love to do that. That that to me, you know, you you said the Beatles were good, better together. Yeah. I don't think so. I think John Lennon's Double Fantasy kicked all their fucking records aside. <laughs> really, it's yeah. a good album, but yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of that four part bullshit. I get it. It made because yeah. the world is ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. But uh, for this one, just because. The wrong two Beatles died. <laughs> God damn it. Um, this conversation would be a whole lot different if uh, John Lennon and George Harrison were Well, we have to around. pretend everyone's still alive because Bowie's dead too. Oh. Yeah, but he lasted, didn't he? George, George, George Harrison was my favorite Beatle, though. And he got his ass kicked. Straight to death. God damn it. <laughs> uh, you can keep the Ringo. He knows how to play I'll, drums. Kind of. He's kind of. But oct- with, with... Octopus Octopus's Garden still a banger. I don't give a fuck what anybody <laughs> says. Uh, but I have to go with the star child himself. 
Yes. Star man, star, star child man. is. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go correct him. I got the point. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'll take Kiss off this fucking list. <laughs> All right. So uh, who defended, or who? No, who, who went first? I think it was Alex. I think I went first. Okay. Alex, tell me about Tom Petty against the Who. <laughs> don't don't give up. <laughs> I'm American made, motherfucker. I, th- I love I th- Tom Petty. I, th- I thought I went first last time. <laughs> the cat's got to go. Oh, is it my yeah. turn? Yeah, defend it's my the, turn. Defend the who coming in wearing union, all clad in union yeah, I jacks. Say, I was gonna say I want like to I want to bounce Tom off. Tom Petty's American made. The who re- reps England hardcore with their union jacks. Fuck Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> To quote uh, Inspector Deck, came in with Tim's in a black mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I'm, a Wu Tang reference, kids. Yeah, it, yes. that's a later. That's a later that podcast. Should, that should, yeah, there we go. That should be like a whole list too. Hip-hop. Which chamber was better out of the thirty six? Oh, with us. Uh, if you want to talk about, of course, Tom Petty's got hits for days too. But so does the Who. Not only does like uh, the Who have hits for days, but they have like albums for days too whether it's you know like i've previously mentioned on the last episode tommy or who's next or uh, quadrophenia you've also got a garage rock era that does not sound like any other band either whether it's songs like substitute anyhow anywhere any way i choose or i can see for miles there's a vibe to those recordings that I think is responsible for a lot of punk rock bands. I think the who those early recordings of the who is ground zero for punk rock as far as an awareness of that kind of like aggressive dirty rock to the mainstream. And there's still catchy fucking power pop songs too. Like you listen to Can't Explain or Substitute and things like that. They're all like very sing they're very sing alongy, just like the Beatles, much like mm-hmm. a lot of garage rock bands were doing uh, back in those days. But uh, that was. And, and they could have like been a career singles band like that, but that wasn't enough for Pete Townsend. He wanted to take it to the nth degree and write a whole album around one idea. And it started off with a quick one while he's away that I mentioned before about you know a cheating wife, and then you get an idea. But then you got the idea about a uh, deaf, dumb, and blind boy who's trying to find you know his way in the universe with all these ailments. And with all these, th- with the world against them too, whether it's abusive parents, abusive relatives, and people not really, you know, taking him seriously, but he was able to find solace and become a celebrity as a pinball wizard. And then that's like, that's how exactly this is where it turns. This is where you listen to Tommy's a very weird fucking album. It's very dark, but then all of a sudden, it's a weird he's a pin- fucking movie. Dude, the but movie. But Tina Turner's in it, so the, it's awesome. Tina Turner, Elton John is the pinball wizard in yeah. the movie too. And uh, yeah, that's one of those. Uh, but yeah, back to like the quality of the music and all that too, because that's probably going to be the crux of this debate mm-hmm. is the quality of music and the quality of the songs. Well, let me ask you this: When was the Who's last major hit single? Probably 1984 with Eminence Fronts. I mean, just off the top of my head, without even looking at my phone, I know Last DJ came out in 2001. But that's not fair because the Who is a band. Tom Brady, up uh, Tom Brady. God damn it. <laughs> Tom Petty could have has probably could and has replaced members of his band here and there, you right. know, just for various reasons and stuff like that. But he's still prolific. He's still writing hit songs all the way up into the thousands, my man. I mean, the, the Who did that. Like, well, it was three decades with the Who too. I'll give you that. But but 
it's not so much as um, there's still an aggressiveness to the Who that I think is more celebrated that the Tom, that. that Tom Betty and the Heartbreakers didn't have. There's a power with the Who, and as a live act, not a whole lot of bands can touch the Who, especially in those old days where. And even take away those like late 60s days where Pete Townsend's just breaking guitars and shit on stage and mm-hmm. Keith Moon's kicking his drumsticks and stuff like that. You watch live footage of The Who, it's fucking awesome. Roger Daltrey, I say, I would say is the quintessential rock and roll front man outside of like a Freddie Mercury or something like that. He's got the hair and like these just built like a brick shit house, just like whipping his microphone up like he's about to like, if you're anywhere near him, you're going to get fucking whacked by that mic. Same thing with Pete Townsend, just kind of jumping around too. And meanwhile, John Entwistle, who is like probably the greatest rock and roll bass player of all time, is just kind of like standing very stoically, just pl- pl- playing loops all over the place. While you hit he- me with that fucking mic, Raj. Yeah. Ba- beat the fuck out of you. Basically, <laughs> he has that, you know, that resting bitch face every time. So yeah, long story short, the Who is, uh, you know, was still one of the best live bands of all time and there was only like four guys and you know just all loud like there's noise and power but it's still great songwriting too and that's mostly pete townsend as well too but that's kind of like similar Alex, case with Tom Petty. You. well it's like i, I get can, two in the weeds no, 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 i was gonna say i totally 100 percent agree with all of that because when you when you went to a tom petty show you were not going for an exciting experience you weren't going to see him jumping around the stage you weren't going there for fireworks or explosions or crazy you know antics you went there because he wrote quality songs. I mean, I can pull up. This is the best of everything. This covers 76 to 2016. And just the first tracks on here, Free Fallen, Mary Jane's Last Dance, You Wreck Me, I Won't Back Down, Saving Grace. It's like just those songs alone kicking off this greatest hits record you hear on the radio all the time. And that's why you go to the show, because you want to hear those songs. Yes, other bands may give you a better live show, but they're not writing the songs that Tom Petty did. He was They weren't writing the songs he did all the way up to his death. Because like I said, it's very interesting to find an artist that was prolific in the 70s that was still prolific in the mid-2000s because by the mid-2000s rock was dead it was what was being strongly dominated on the airwaves was pop and rap you had your underground you know metal community you know you still had hot topic thriving kind of showing off the b and c grade list you know bands to the diehards like us but when it came to national appeal rock and roll was dead and here is and i want to call back to this one because we're talking about you know the meaning of songs i really like the last dj that came out in the 2000s because it's literally telling the story of the death of radio and it's more profound coming from someone like tom petty that's seen the peaks and valleys of the entire music industry and the hook of the song is basically he's the last dj but he's getting fired because he doesn't want to play what the executives are telling him what he needs to play runs down to mexico starts up a known bootleg radio station and the guy writing the song hears it and he's like when i'm able to pick it up now and then i still turn it up and dance by myself in the living room to the last real dj and it almost kind of felt like he was it was kind of autobiographical because it was like the everyone is kind of turning to the mainstream everyone's kind of turning to what's easy and popular well what about the creators of quality what about the people that are still putting their heart and soul into it so that's why i still like that song and i'm glad that it became a major hit in the thousands because i think 
within time with more time passing more folks are going to look at that song and be like damn it's a great <laughs> it's, it's definitely a great album and with uh i think with uh wildflowers was the record wasn't it uh wildflowers was like the mid-90s one. Oh, okay got it and, yeah. and that and that's even a great one that song right there sounds like something that would fit on the first few records it's like god damn it sounds consistent <laughs> who did the same thing up until uh after uh the problem with the who is that they well not one sliding well i don't want to i don't want to debate, debate against it <laughs> don't debate, debate against I can't yourself debate man. against it no because there are times where they had there were times where they had to replace members because you know you have when you have a keith moon in your band he's not going to last very long <laughs> very good point very good point but it's, but it's also one of those things that's the ultimate one of those ultimate bands where it's like one of those uh I, I bring up again one of those odd soups where you have this guy keith moon this fucking maniac that has you know that's built to be a star but does but is like a Bull in a china shot. But I'm free. Yeah. Free falling. And that is one of the most popular songs ever. And so is <laughs> so is uh Baba O'Reilly. And no guys, it's not called fucking Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> Nobody can ever get the fucking song title right. But yeah, that soup where it's like uh you have this uh ornery fucking bass player who's ready to just fight just fight anybody at any moment. You've got this uh Shepherd's Bush fu- has Pete Townsend calls him the Shepherd's Bush geezer fuck in front of the band who's built like the brick shithouse like I mentioned earlier and then you've got this kind of sensitive shy boy that writes all the songs that still like gets all his aggression out on stage just jumping and leaping and stuff like that but you know writes all these really um all these all these songs about what's going on culturally what's going on you know psychologically in his head and what's going on psychologically within his culture at, right. in England at the time and really like painting a picture for the youth at the time and of course when you're that's your focus uh, as a writer about the youth as you get older things change where it's like um, you know the universal appeal stop, stops but the music lasts forever but Tom Petty was always universal he was singing about heartache love life he sang about stuff in which anyone at any age could relate to on some level you could get a fourth grader listening to you know one of the breakup songs and he can put himself back in the schoolyard where his little school crush said no to him so, so it's can like, Paul Simon who <laughs> that's on that's on, that that's on you all right so can hank williams there we go no with uh pete Townsend, it was very I was really fucking with you yeah i know but with, with, i was too I was, tr- I was trying to fuck with you but, but i stumped you instead <laughs> no with pete Townsend, it was very unique and i don't know unique goes a long way with me oh no it, it is it worked great for bowie yeah in right yep. the last discussion it, it yep, totally yep. totally works yep um now there is a time era that does fuck this up a little bit mm-hmm. with you know the 60s 70s and 80s who on the tail end tom petty coming in the beginning mm-hmm. so yeah there is going to be some knockdown drag outs when it At least comes this wasn't iggy versus green day right <laughs> true and it is two different i want to say styles of music all right this it's tom petty does have a more folksy tone mm-hmm. The Who do have a metal stage presence almost. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. With uh, you know, with my generation, you know, who are you? Stuff like that. Um, they do have a. They are very uh, out the gate unique. Yeah, they're not Led Zeppelin. They're not the fucking Beatles. It's like a band that shouldn't work that, but yes. does. Yeah, it almost works like a three piece almost. It's like the Stooges, because uh, you forget the bass player a lot of times with the Who. Yeah, because you, you do, but you just think of the drummer. Yeah, Pete this, Townsend. He's not the personality that the yeah, other three are. Yeah, but he's doing his job now. Tom Petty though must be nice. Tom, <laughs> Tom Petty is the front man. Now he's with the Heartbreakers, mm-hmm. 
but he didn't need the heartbreakers after a while after a while it just wound up being tom petty yeah um and mike campbell but (laughs) (laughs) but you you know what i'm saying like it's a very right it's a very unique you know four versus one type Mm -hmm. situation now the who are very iconic with the look and the sound uh tom petty however with a jack of all trades kind of look to him that that's how i feel when i listen to tom petty because he's all over the place a lot um and he was willing to work with other bands unlike the who (laughs) so and because he played with stevie nicks (laughs) <laughs> and that is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Uh, I gotta go with Tom Petty. Okay, all right. Tom Brady and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> Tom go Bra- books. <laughs> Tom Brady and the Heartbreakers. Oh featuring, man, featuring Bruce Campbell on guitar. I mean Mike Campbell. <laughs> Dig it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex. Yes. Tell me why the dwarves are better than the Stooges. <laughs> another one. Another punk band. You kept picking these punks. <sighs> I want to see this fight in real life. <laughs> this motherfucker brought a midget. <laughs> <laughs> young black versus young itty all drugged out. <laughs> all right. Um, the diviest of dives out of Detroit. Both bland, <laughs> Both bands playing. <laughs> Opening next week for Kid Rock. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> See, here's the thing. MC5's in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to help my case, but I'll, I'll have to steal the story away from Cab. I, oh, I we're going to actually have to flip a coin based on how this is going. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's. It, I remember the Henry Rollins story talking about you try to beat Iggy and you just can't. Mm-hmm. You try to up him every night and you just can't because no one beats Iggy. So what do you do? You don't do what Iggy does. And the dwarves really didn't do that. They created their own lane. So... When you, we, we want to compare Frontman, well, that's totally fine. That's going to be like comparing, you know, Freddie Mercury to Tom Petty. Very different styles and delivery. Black has a very much kind of like swag to him, a little bit, a little bit more street, a little bit more almost kind of like a rap kind of vibe to him, even in the mid 80s when they never even touched the stuff. It still, he always just kind of had that more, you know, Bobby Street feel to his frontmanship. Which kind of diametrically opposed maybe some of the more aggressive punk rock that was happening. But when you look at Iggy and the Stooges, because we're always we looking specifically at Stooges. I'm Stooges. Stooges, yeah. The whole okay. band. So, Versus. so we, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This one's tough because I really did. I was going to put Iggy on my list, but it's Cap Stolen Pass. Fuck. Um. <laughs> I don't know. With, with the dwarves, I'm able to get a lot more differentiating kind of styles from mm-hmm. them. After a while, Iggy does have the same go-to groove. The song Raw Power does kind of assimilate itself into other songs with the groove and the, you know, I've, I've even kind of said as like a joke to Cap before, it feels like all of Iggy's songs are like two chord do 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 All the songs kind of Exactly, so all of them kind of have that two chord bouncy groove where the dwarves could hit you with a song like Dairy Queen and then Saturday Night, which is like a power pop song, and then 
Dominator, which is a crashing punk rock, you know, thrashing song. So they kind of give you a little bit more to work with in addition to the crazy stage antics that, you know, have gotten the dwarves this far in the competition. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I got. (laughs) Here it goes. With the dwarves, we bring up. uh, There's only like really like one member that's been consistent throughout the entire Mm -hmm. lineup, and that's been Blag. And he who to a point to a point, but uh, he who doesn't have like the iconic guitar sound that like that Ron Ashton does to me at least. You've got the Ashton brothers. You've got the guitar player Ron Ashton, his brothers Scott to just you know cliche 70s early 70s stoner kids that you know couldn't do anything outside of playing instruments really but it's kind of like you know folks that you know folks that we know personally where you just strap a guitar on them and they become their own version of their thing and uh, make an iconic thing out of it there's just that uh there's that there's a sound that's identifiable with uh, ron ashton in particular on those first two stooges records he only played guitar on the first two records and played bass on the third one but there's a, um, but uh, I'll get to a good point about the both of them about, and how that's important as well. But on the first two records, it's all about that fuzz tone, that Stratocaster, and that Marshall that really gave the Stooges sound its sound on those first two records. And when Iggy wanted to do a third record under the name The Stooges, he got a different guitar player to play all the leads and co-writes on, but they couldn't find a drummer or a bass player in England they had to move to England to record because Bowie wanted to sign him to his management company. So what happened was that Iggy said, I know the two baddest uh, musicians in Detroit that would be perfect for the Stooges sound. And he got Scott on uh, drums and he got Ron to play bass on the Raw Power record. And it's a shame that the Raw Power record isn't mixed as well as it should be or like with everything they had you know we, if you listen to our last episode you listen to uh, the raw power record there's a lot you know that was against who everybody that was mixing the record because they weren't they didn't track it properly so a lot of that bass gets buried but you don't feel it you know kind of dipping out or anything like that it doesn't lose its you know significance as and it doesn't take away from the movement of the track or anything like that so with the stooges to me it's all about those three guys it's iggy and the ashton brothers that really set them apart from every band that's uh that's uh you know it's kind of like you know that it's another one of those soups that i keep bringing up where it's like those guys and it's only those guys that make the stooges and anybody outside of it you know of course they've done lineups here and there and various tours in recent years with uh different members but at its core that power and the energy and the vibe of those three guys really make that iconic music really carry that iconic music to me but here's the thing the dwarves made punk rock sexy they brought sex into punk rock. You telling me penetration isn't isn't sexy? There's a lot of sexy in those like early Stooges records. If, but, right. the, but the dwarves just brought that unfiltered, basically porno aspect to punk rock. When you had maybe flash artists like Gigi Allen that were doing crazy stage things, but he was like shitting and pissing on himself and attacking the audience. The dwarves would bring out naked chicks to dance on stage with them. It's, it's like they, they brought out the smut porn aspect of it, it kind of made it fun. It is all sex. Within, at least with Funhouse and Raw Power. To me, Down on the Street is the soundtrack to fucking on the floor and breaking okay, shit. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so Funhouse is ground zero for the dwarves. It is. It's just, I knew this was a fruitless fight, but I had to try. I had, I had to swing. Well, as you said, you can't beat Iggy. 
Can't be Iggy. Nobody can. The Stooges progress to the next round. Yep. <laughs> like I said, I was trying everything in my book for that one. I just I knew that wasn't gonna. And that's work. my three seed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three seeds make it around. Mm-hmm. It's like watching uh, West Virginia beat Duke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember that happened? <laughs> yeah. Second fucking round. <laughs> Fuck you, Coach K. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, cap. Okay. You got to defend the Rolling Stones against Thin Lizzy. Okay. Let's see, we I, talk- know, I know we all enjoy these bands. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I know, I'm I know, sitting here I know, thinking of my know. arguments against. So, yeah. not only like two iconic bands with iconic songs of the same era. Of the same era. Era, and, era, era. And, and, era, and, era, era. <laughs> and, era, era. And iconic guitar styles, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thin Lizzy kind of like it's kind of like a within Liz, within Lizzy it's kind of like a ACDC or Motorhead or something like that where they kind of had like they had their identity with their sound even mm-hmm. though it kind of varied here and there with later records like say uh, Bad Reputation that sounds like a different album than the rest of them with the Rolling Stones you I mentioned it before they kind of span all genres they got good dance rock uh, songs they have good country rock songs they have good you know blues songs and then you know when they go when they go into their full on rock and roll mode, when to me the quintessential rock and roll uh, Rolling Stones song is Brown Sugar. That's the sound of the Rolling Stones to me, and uh, you know that's a style of rock that's been emulated a lot. It's like about like Led Zeppelin. It's been duplicated a lot. Like say uh, Black Crows. Black Crows pull a lot from that Brown Sugar, Honky Tonk Woman, uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking sound of the Rolling Stones. But the Stones are a lot more than that. That's kind of like their bar band thing. But they can write great acoustic records and things like that too and uh you know there's just one of those bands that could do it all even without a great you know i don't think mick jagger's a great vocalist by any means but his voice lends for the to the sound of that band and that's just you know iconic music and you know songs and albums for days that you know you can't say enough of and again another one it's kind of like led zeppelin where they've been over analyzed to a point mm-hmm. so i'm kind of curious to hear uh, alex's defense on uh, Thin Lizzy against this. Defend the Emerald. (laughs) With Thin Lizzy, I would say there's a bit more rock and roll rebellion to them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. With with the Stones, it almost has the Bowie effect, where, yes, they were still the dangerous band, but after a while, especially by the mid-70s, they kind of started to transition through that. They started to transcend that, and all of a sudden their, their fan base was a little wider. So it's like, you know, you could find, you know, the 16-year-old that's just getting into music digging into the Rolling Stones. It was the pot-smoking motorcycle motherfuckers that were listening to Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy was for a different breed. It was for that breed of folks that wanted a little something rougher, a little something heavier. You know, Motorhead wasn't quite out yet. You know, Judas Priest really wasn't making their big splashes. What do we have? We got Thin Lizzy, man. Boys are back in town. Jailbreak. This was like the anthem to fast cars and motorcycles and like, you know, the the guys that weren't really ready to go into punk rock but needed something a little bit more than Kiss. And, you know, <laughs> Ted Nugent was wasn't really hitting it anymore. Now we've got Thin Lizzy. And to me, it, the dangerousness that that band kind of brought kind of overshadows 
the Rolling Stones and their musical aspirations. They were a lot more musically talented, but it almost the danger aspect of a Thin Lizzy kind of outshadows that because, again, a lot of my picks pull from not even necessarily crazy frontmen, but frontmen that knew how to dominate the stage. And it's like you had three members up on stage with th- three, right? Uh, Thin Lizzy? Uh, yeah, two guitar players yeah, and yeah, Phil. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you had three up there, and it's like, how often do you get the bassist being the main lead singer? And it's like, that that doesn't happen often. But here's this motherfucker. Don't you dare bring up Rush. I ain't talking about goddamn Rush right now. I was going to say, Phil, <laughs> Phil Linett, Geddy Lee. And now, now that you have, I was going to say Sting. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so it's like, it was something that we didn't see a whole lot. And also, I'll pull this card, a black man in popular rock and roll. That was not seen a lot back then, even though the black community created blues and started rock and roll. The white boys were not having that. But sure enough, here he is rocking it with the best of them right next to fucking Jimi Hendrix, you know, and killing it. It's just unfortunate he died so early. I think if Phil had lived longer, we would have seen a much larger, larger legacy from Thin Lizzy. And what had been started would only have grown tenfold. I think the I agree with all of that too, and I love Thin Lizzy, and but as far as like the dangerous vibe, I think uh, I think with context, it can, when you uh, get the story of the Stones, it adds to a lot of the tracks that are on, say, Exile on Main Street, where they were legitimately recording in like a uh, just an empty chateau in France to avoid paying chateau, yeah, <laughs> to avoid to get out of paying taxes in fucking England, right? But but, but, the, that, but that was a dangerous on a personal aspect. It was dangerous, but they were all doing drugs and like you know going out and hanging out with like the the like the scourge of fucking France when they were making that album Keith Richards in particular but would you say the fan base followed through with that it felt like they had a much wider fan base where it's like you know maybe even the soccer mom would listen to a little bit of Rolling Stones here and there but oh she wouldn't touch that Thin Lizzy record I can, when you put it in that context since Thin Lizzy kind of has like a harder more aggressive sound mm-hmm arguably than the stones do i don't know the stones would kind of like tread that line of with uh, like being overly sexual when it became you know being yeah. dangerous yeah i could see that that's so, yeah, it's so, just a different aspect so as of far the as like pushing buttons thin, i mean then lizzie I mean, would beat you up rolling stones I mean, would fuck you yeah exactly I mean, look, I mean, look, look at the album cover of sticky fingers where it's just a dude's crotch bulge <laughs> through a fucking jeans or like a goat's head soup where it's like uh you know panties with mick jagger's face in it yeah <laughs> yeah so the rolling stones would just fuck you then Lizzie would fuck you up. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, it's like lock your daughters and your mothers. We're the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And then Lizzie was lock up your drugs and your booze. Here we come. Yeah, pretty much. We'll beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Uh, I will say you are correct. If this, if the lead singer had lived longer, yeah, we would have probably gotten a lot more quality music uh, on top of what the Rolling Stones had done later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, that's the one thing I can there, definitely there, give the Stones is there longevity. Is a, there is, yes, yes, chemically added. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow they pickled themselves. He's like Ozzy, man. Almost, eight, almost 80 years old, and Mick Jagger still, unlike Ozzy, Mick Jagger can still sing his ass off. And get yeah. your Mick Jagger was at the Thirsty Beaver t-shirt at stiffmedia.bigcartel.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the problem with Thin Lizzy, you know, you had made the comment, you know, maybe the soccer bomb. Yes, nowadays, yes, they would. Uh and it's also that same mom lived through the 60s when they arrived because uh, it had Beatlemania, Stones. Uh, I will say the Stones for a 
for a race aspect of it, did put black artists to the front with not only working with James Brown, but Otis Redding and Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf. You know, they put these guys up front, not only in America, but in Britain itself. Uh, Ireland, though, was taken by storm with Thin Lizzy. So was part of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just not really crazy in the U.S., surprisingly, until yeah, it, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Cap and I talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're not a niche band. They are a straight-up rock and roll band. Set that first record. That first record is really weird. Yeah. So it was Judas Priest when they started. <laughs> yeah, uh, with their with their blouses. Yes, <laughs> when uh, Rob had hair. <laughs> yeah, what an odd look. Google that. <laughs> uh, so I gotta go with the Rolling Stones, but the Thin Lizzy. That's tough. In another list, another day. Hyde would be very disappointed in you. Uh, Hyde's also a fucking sexual predator. Yes. He's <laughs> also a fucking sexual predator. So fuck Hyde. Red should have kicked his ass. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was imagining the entire time I was describing Thin Lizzy. I'm like, that would be Hyde's favorite fucking band. Uh-huh. Or Ted Nugent. Yeah. And that's why I also threw out the Ted Nugent. Like, and you're bored with Ted Nugent. Well, he's, he's got a lot of common with Ted Nugent, don't he? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 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 fuck the Nuge. Yes. <laughs> what, the pedophile Ted Nugent? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. Last one for the Elite Eight. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Alex. Yes. Defend the Norwegians Turbo Negro against Black Sabbath. Oh, my God. <laughs> A number one seed. Oh, my God. Number one. <laughs> So I'm, so I'm starting first. Yes. Okay. Doom Metal versus Turbo Negro. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. We really should have probably. I really probably should have broke this up between like yeah. 60s, 70s versus. That's fine. Versus. I like this. I like this because I I I can kind of go in a different route with this one. Talk about a band that has list. been played to the nth degree. Every fucking metal band. Oh, Black Sabbath is a huge influence. Or even it's like even if you can't even tell, they always rattle that one off. It's almost as bad as the Ramones. I love the Ramones, but every fucking punk rock band, who are your influence? The Ramones. Every fucking metal band, Black Sabbath. It's like, and after a while, you start just not hearing it. You don't hear a lot of people say Turbo Negro, even though Turbo was influenced by bands like Black Sabbath, Kiss, Bowie. They have all these different elements to them, and it's due to the fact they're just not as popular, which is a shame. When you've got bands like Black Sabbath that, again, under my stance, one good singer, handful of good records, that get overplayed. You turn on the radio, you hear War Pigs. You hear Paranoid. You hear it all the fucking time. And after a while, you start to kind of resent the band because you hear it all the goddamn time. How many times can I listen to Paranoid? How many times can I listen to Rock and Roll All Night? My point being, <laughs> after a while, it does get mind-numbing to the point where you stop kind of paying attention to it and Cap's pulling up his Spotify numbers just to already compare shit. <laughs> I mean, not just that, but other You points. shouldn't have to. No, <laughs> I know, but no, and it is kind of hard, you know, when you compare the musical styles of Turbo mm-hmm. versus Black Sabbath. But if you really want to come go and compare relistenability, Black Sabbath does have a specific style. They have their slow grunge and then their fast kind of upbeat. Dun, 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 dun. But that really is about what they've got. They've got two gears, a little slow and a little fast. Ooh. 
Make your finish your point. But. <laughs> Turbo's got it all, man. They they can give you a slow rocker. They can give you a blister and fast rocker. And guess what? Every single one of them are hits. I don't have to play the guessing game when I'm doing the turbo playlist. This is Black Sabbath. I got to be a lot more intricate, being like, okay, this is one song from this record. All right, well, I guess this one too. Two from this one, and the records that wind up not being as popular wind up being a lot more enjoyable. The hits, not as much. So with so your, your argument is the, the single album outweighs the single hits per albums. Honestly, yeah. Like I feel like there's a lot more bloat on each record than there are hits. Whereas with Turbo, nothing but hits. Oh, like four. boy. All right. Yeah, 10-4 there, good buddy. <laughs> so We're you, about to see some teeth. So you mentioned Paranoid. Use my and knife. War, <laughs> yes, and War Pigs being the ones that are overplayed. That's two songs. Right. In an entire catalog. But that's what gets played the most. That's all you hear on the radio from them. Then you skip them and just put on Master of Reality that has no, has no hits, but just all just like classics of hard rock. You've got Sweet Leaf. You've got Children of the Grave. You've got Into the Void, one of the best riffs of all time. You know, Turbo wish they could write that song. You've got After Forever with all of the cool, with uh, just that intro with the bass and everything. You've got uh, Lord of This World, and that's probably the heaviest record. But if you want to, you know, shift gears and go for a little bit of like a little like a lighter gauge, uh-huh, or just uh-huh. in, you know, uh-huh, kind of, you uh-huh. know, kind of cruise a little bit you can put on some tracks from like a sabbath bloody sabbath i mean you've got you know spiral architect and uh you know sabra cadabra and killing yourself to live which all have those classic black sabbath you know riffs and things like that but it sounds different there's a lot of like fluff there's an, uh, the instrumental off of sabbath bloody sabbath is a beautiful guitar piece that's got a lot of acoustics on there that tony put together himself like um as they got further along, they got a lot. There, there's a lot of depth in Black Sabbath that a lot of people don't really talk about for some reason. Like people want to talk about the first two albums more often than not. When you get into like Volume Four and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, there's a lot of production elements like Changes. Changes was recovered by fucking Charles Bradley. It's a fucking R and B song that's only played on a piano, and you get a little bit of bass in the background. And uh, on top of that, you still get crushers like uh, Wheels and Confusion and things like that. So I'd say between the, see, the first one, two, three, four, five, six albums by themselves. I mean, you've got plenty of styles and, you know, plenty of heavy metal and, you know, things here and there to choose from. And it's still like so melodic and catchy, even with like Ozzy's voice too, you know, it's so like, it's all melody with Ozzy. Like uh, he didn't write the songs, but he wrote all the melodies and that's just as important as anything else in songwriting to me. Well, then I would say one of the most important things that Turbo Negro brought to the table was the fact that in a rap and pop dominated music industry and in a grunge dominated music industry, they broke through with some classic rock and roll and punk rock that if you want to draw the dots may, may, maybe speaking out of term, but might have even paved the way for bands like Jet and Wolf Mother to become even slightly popular because they showed that rock and roll from out of states even does have a purpose in the American psyche. Meanwhile, Ozzy Osbourne's dominating all the MTV ratings along yes, with him and doesn't yes, even have to sing. Yeah, yeah, he's doing the fucking Slipknot <laughs> tours with Marilyn Manson and shit. Yeah, Still that's, iconic. And that's all well and fine, but all of a sudden in the skateboarding community, there's this uprise of real 
bare bone rock and roll. And again, I I, it's, I don't want to give too much credence to the Jackass crew, but I honestly think they did a lot of the Lord's work by bringing out a lot of these bands and kind of putting it in the forefront of the audience that would be most interested in it. And I just feel like if there wasn't a turbo during that time, we wouldn't have gotten half as much of the cool shit as we were kind of getting throughout the 90s. But they were still playing, you know. In early 2000s, rather. Yeah, but they were still playing, you know, hints of paranoid and stuff like that. With If there was like a straight up like, you know, bar chord Black Sabbath song, it's definitely paranoid. Yeah, yeah. And I'd argue that's probably like, you know, the first punk, one of the first, you know, punk rock sounding songs. If you're using bar chords like that, the Ramones could probably put, could have covered paranoid and probably gotten away with it. Man, it's a bit of a stretch, but I'll give it to you. Either way, it's just like, uh, to me, nothing can top those uh, first six Black Sabbath, Sabbath albums with Ozzy Osbourne. And there's a lot more variety than I think people would give them uh, uh, credit for as far as like styles and recordings. So, All right. I will say, you know, as a fan of Pepper Negro for the last like two years, mm-hmm. just because of Brad and everybody up there, uh, you're right. They do they do lead a credence to bringing rock and roll back to the forefront in a way. Uh, but you got to remember the Rolling Stone or the Rolling Stones and um, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath that way. There was two other sounds going on around that time mm-hmm. of, of country and a country pop to pop that was really hitting that Sabbath was not going to go away with. Like, the Beach Boys were big when Black Sabbath came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian Wilson ain't fucking no Tony Iommi, all right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, I do see a, a, a stark similarity between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, In that aspect. Yeah, because I'm looking at it more as when they came out to when these guys came out. Right. Now, if Jackass came out in 1968... <laughs> People would be very confused. Hey, everybody, this is Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> like, this is my friend Charles Manson. We're going to jump off a fucking building. <laughs> We're going to join a cult. <laughs> and these are for Black Sabbath with the song Snowblind. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I got to say, Sabbath takes ah, it. Do it. Knew it. My one seed. Yeah, his one seed wins. <laughs> All right. I so think that's, this would be great if this is more a little bit strategic, in a way. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been better. How many more rounds have, would it be for the final? We got two or, more. We got four matches, and then the last. I think we could finish it in this episode. The oh, last yeah. episode was like two hours. So we're only an hour twenty now. All right. So the final four. The oh, final four. Whew. Oh no! This is the lead eight. Uh, yeah. No, this comes out to the final. Uh, this will lead to the final four. Wait, where are we at right now? We have eight teams. Okay, so we're in the late eight right now. Yes. Uh, Led Zeppelin versus Black Sabbath. Because these two are caps. Mm. Alex. Mm-hmm. I will... Heads or tails, you get it, you get to choose first. Uh, heads. Tails, cap, pick the band. Who, pick- who would you defend? Who would I defend? Black Sabbath... Or Led Zeppelin. I would defend my number one seed, Black Sabbath. All right. All right. It's well, on you. See, uh, Tell but, me about Black Sabbath and why they're better than Led Zeppelin. And then Cap and Alex would just look at me and see, like, you know Led Zeppelin's better. See. <laughs> and, that, and that just ends the fucking conversation. <laughs> Let's see. With, uh, with uh, Black Sabbath, see, Jimmy Page has four fingertips that he can play his guitar with. Tony Omi had, only has two. <laughs> this is true. 
and invent an entire genre. Led Zeppelin can't say that. Can Black Sabbath play the drums like John Bonham? See, Don't steal my arguments, motherfucker. See, <laughs> now, now, now this is going to be question based. So now, now, ju- now, just to jab it, it's going to be oh, question okay. based. See, people uh, do not put Bill Ward on that uh, list of like great drummers of all time with like your John Bonhams and Neil Peart's and uh, or Keith Moon's or any of that. I'd say Bill Ward is just as competent as just as you know. There's a swing to Bill Ward that not a lot of drummers in that time period had or have duplicated since because Bill Ward is one of those uh, those jazz players and you can hear it in his swing and that's kind of one of those things that adds to the sound of Black Sabbath. To me, Black Sabbath doesn't sound like Black Sabbath without Bill Ward, even though they've done various tours without Bill Ward and have had different drummers. There's always something off about that one fucking guy from Ozzy's band that they go on that went on tour with a few years ago that just sounds like it was plotting so much with Bill Ward's swing jazz that just kind of added to the sound and again makes that uniqueness that uh, makes Black Sabbath the way that uh, the band that I love you know it's Geezer Butler Bill Ward Ozzy and Tony Iommi and uh, you know of course, the Dio band is fine. They had uh, Vin- they had Vinny a piece and oh, everything. Oh, now it's too. just fine. When it was Compared- the crux of the other arguments, now it's just fine. Compared to Ozzy and Bill Ward, yeah, it's fine. Yes. All right. uh, with that said, Alex, tell me why Led Zeppelin kicks Black Sabbath's ass. Well, he had to go through a whole dissertation to explain why that drummer deserves to have the credibility. We don't have that problem with Bonham. It's right there. You hear it. You feel it. The Every drummer I've talked to has wanted to get that Bonham sound, and only one of them ever comes close to it because it's in the hands. Exactly what you're saying. Every time they went out with that extra drummer from Ozzy's band, it didn't sound right. You couldn't do that with Led Zeppelin, man. Bonham is that sound. He has that thunderous noise that not even Peter Chris could replicate, someone that also loved that style of drumming. And then you've got someone like Robert Plant that exactly what you said, he turned into a crooner in the 80s. And actually, one of my favorite songs that he's ever sang is one that came out in the mid-2000s that I watched for the first time on The Daily Show. <laughs> actually, no, The Colbert <laughs> Report. And it was a song called Rainbow. And it is beautiful. It's amazing. Just going to show that unlike the Beatles, once they're separated from their parts, they're still great. This band is one of the top bands for a reason, and it's because every single one of the members brought such amount of talent to the table, yet it all got reined in in such a way it became a cohesive rock and roll monster. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the things like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin are always are often like pinned together as like the top monster bands of like the early seventies, especially for like hard rock and heavy metal, if you will. But there's like a uniqueness to Black Sabbath that you know everybody has tried to duplicate. Everybody's trying to emulate that Tony Iommi guitar sound, and again, that's just all in the hands and his like you know his his uh, you know fake fingertip caps that he made and everything. Seems too. to be down to battle of the musicianship on this one. It is. We kind of have it's, to take the genre of- out and just look at the raw talent of both bands. You are taking two bands that did create metal. Yes. Yeah. That's why I say I kind of have to take the genre out and look at just purely a technical proficiency. <laughs> there, there are a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of parallels to both of these bands. But I think with uh, with me in particular, there's a, there are moments in Black Sabbath catalogs that made me feel a certain way that Led Zeppelin really didn't. Like oh. Led Zeppelin, you're hearing uh, your cashmere brother. 
You, I mean, you that's mean cool. you can listen to Cashmere and not feel anything? That was one of the first songs I remember hearing as a kid going, this feels like space. And I get that too, but if you listen to NIB, <laughs> or even that first, that first, Led, or even that, most of that first Black Sabbath record in particular, the song Black Sabbath yeah. by Black Sabbath. <laughs> off the record. Off the album. <laughs> Black Sabbath had to do it. Well, you know, fuck all y'all. I'm going to put Bad Company on my list. <laughs> kick all your asses. <laughs> no, but when first time I heard, the first time I heard that song because of the production quality and how it kind of sounded like you were in the fucking Texas Chainsaw house. You know, there's like an airy kind of mm-hmm. like doom to it. Like with that song or maybe like the song Hand, mm-hmm. Hand of Doom as it gets quiet and then it builds up. There's like a, there's a suspense to that that you don't hear in like a lot of Led Zeppelin songs and a lot of music in particular like when uh, Marilyn Manson came out I was like oh Marilyn Manson's scary bro you should totally hear Marilyn Manson that did not scare me there's nothing sonically about Marilyn Manson that fucking scares me at all but if you give me Fun, a funny side note I had a friend in uh, Virginia that hated the doors because it creeped them out dude the doors can be fucking creepy too <laughs> it's that time period and that kind of recording like if you listen to that if you like you know it's kind of that same thing if you listen to that kind of like the recording more quality. of a catch a predator vibe <laughs> <laughs> with black sabbath it's more like oh fuck here comes the devil and i'm in a cl- and uh, he Satanic knows where i'm at and i'm trying and to hide zeppelin it's i'm gonna fuck the devil yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would say a better argument could be made against black sabbath and misfits yeah yeah uh i gotta say led zeppelin takes it just because the catalog alone just dwarfs fucking Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, this is no slant. You can't get too mad, Cap. These no, are both your picks. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a slant against Black Sabbath, but because of their changes and them not being able to stick together. Uh, and mostly that's a frontman issue. Yeah. It happens. Uh, you're going to go down that path, but when you got one, two, three, and four and physical graffiti compared to those first six, I'm taking Led Zeppelin every time. All right. All right. Led... <laughs> Zeppelin. <laughs> Led Z. I'm not writing out Zeppelin. <laughs> All right. So who defended? You You came out first, right? Yes. Kiss versus the Rolling Stones. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Tell me about these Satanists. <laughs> <laughs> the Stones dabble, too. <laughs> of course. That's why they're most Satanists. Yes. <laughs> so the Stones definitely had their peak in popularity throughout the 70s. Mm-hmm. They, they they were on the radio. They had arguably probably more popularity than Kiss in different aspects, uh, especially when it came to mainstream popularity. Kiss mm. was extremely popular in the 70s in counterculture and comic books with kids. It was still the things that the parents did not want. I would still hazard to say, though, by the time Kiss and 70s were really starting to hit, Rolling Stones were kind of starting to bridge the gap and become a little bit more sociable. Well, we always hear about the Rolling Stones during the 70s and a little bit of the 80s. We don't really hear about what's come afterward with Kiss. We always hear the whole story. We hear that Ace and Peter left, and then they took the makeup off, and they did all these hair metal songs, and then they had the big reunion tour in the 90s, and now they're touring without two of the original members again in the makeup. You always hear the whole story. With Rolling Stones, it's always, yep, they're on tour again. (laughs) You know, it's like you haven't really, they've not had the storied career in history, I feel, that Kiss has when it comes to, honestly, just 
like what I said, history and story. It feels like there's a lot more to the Kiss story than there is the Rolling Stones story up to this point. There may have been a lot more starting out, but like up to this point, I mean, there's a reason why we've got a Kiss podcast and not a Rolling Stones podcast. There's so much we can dig into all the way up to today with this band. Whereas with the Rolling Stones, we could do a really good show on the 70s. Then what do we do after that? You know, so for my book, I still see Kiss as the bigger, superior band because not only have they lasted this long, I feel like they stayed relevant longer. Even throughout the 90s, they picked up that relevancy again when the Rolling Stones really were known for their old. You know, I'd listen to comedy bits, you know, and they were talk about, you know, fuck, the Rolling Stones are announcing another fucking tour. You know, so it's like they were kind of becoming the butt of the joke of how old are they and they're still touring? Would you Would you consider that longevity, though? For them, it's just longevity to the point of continuing to tour. Yes. Yeah. So, like, you're 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 saying that Kiss's more longevity is production over like story. Yeah. Quant like quantity over quality. Well, I mean, well, I mean, even even in the nineties, the discography is about the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, even before the nineties, before the reunion tour, they were doing bigger things like the big MTV Unplugged situation which did have the two come back but it still would have been a major thing due to the other artists that were also doing mtv unplugged at the time you weren't really hearing about the stones doing big special events you know kiss was staying in the public eye a lot more and that's maybe where i pull the relevancy from there was always the talks of is there going to be a reunion tour are you going to put the makeup back on there was always some sort of buzz around kiss whereas the buzz around rolling stones was well they're touring again you know, it just felt like there was there's a little bit more to bite and latch onto with the story of Kiss rather than the story of Rolling Stones. Well, I think with uh, with Kiss, there's more. I think the story overshadowed uh, and the drama overshadowed the quality of the music, especially in the late '80s and the '90s, leading up to that reunion tour, where like you know, Kiss is going to be part of like a big event. The Rolling Stones were the big event in that time period. And anytime they would announce a tour, it's like, oh, shit, the Rolling Stones are going to go on tour again. I get to see, you know, 20 songs that I like. But was it that or they're going on tour again? Well, what was the Kiss story in the 80s? Oh, there's that uh, other. No one knew what the fuck they were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Kiss story in the 80s. And even like there's like songs from that time period that like aren't bad they're kind of like throwaway songs where it's like there's like i can think of like a dozen kiss songs that are god awful and admittedly uh and admittedly like i don't revisit the 80s stuff all that all that much except maybe like emotional rescue but even then that's like early 80s and start me up tattoo you and uh from like 1981 is a pretty solid rolling stones record even for like that time period it's got little tna on it that uh keith richards uh sings you know we talk about how you know about them pushing buttons you know they're still singing about you know that kind of shit and still being and still like wearing it on their sleeve they were still the rolling stones whereas you know somebody like kiss was still finding their identity in that part of their career yeah but could the rolling stones have conventions in their name could they have lunch boxes could they have all the crazy things that kiss basically deserved by the time the 90s rolled around i mean i can't say for sure that they didn't have that stuff already i make a strong argument that they easily could these days yeah these days but like every band does now but right but as far as like a hardcore, like, uh, you know, Star Trek minutia, <laughs> yeah, exactly. knowledge of trivia, that kind of thing with the Rolling Stones, I, th- I think that that just comes down more to like the quality of the music with the Rolling Stones and uh, having the catalog speech for itself, speak for itself, where like we 
grab onto like the uh, the minutia of Kiss in the '80s because of mm-hmm. all the little inner workings. Because that story is fascinating too. And with Rolling Stones, it's pretty. Cons- they kind of found their stride as an arena touring act in the '80s, where. I guess it was like the post-exile on Main Street and guitar, lead guitar transition that they had to go through in the yeah. mid-70s that kind of uh, adds a little bit of a minutiae, a little bit of a fascination towards the the back, behind-the-scenes lore in that aspect with the Rolling Stones. So that just kind of that kind of came, you know, here and there. But, you know, as Kiss, we're looking at guys like Mark St. John and <laughs> Vinnie Bruce Vincent. Vinnie Vincent. The Rolling Stones were looking at, you know, Jeff Beck and Peter Frampton and... Yeah. You know, a lot of A-listers because they were the capital R, capital S Rolling Stones. And they kept being the capital R, capital S Rolling Stones for decades, even in through the 80s, even though they weren't, you know, making hits necessarily. They were still, you know, playing on live, making appearances on live. At least Mick Jagger was. And uh, appearing in other people's music videos. And, you know, just they were still, you Dancing know, A+. plus streets. <laughs> Fuck that version, by the way. <laughs> Both Bowie and, and Mick Jagger get deducted points for that. <laughs> but yeah, you they were, saw I didn't use that during my argument. <laughs> man, but they were still like, Mick Jagger in particular was definitely an A-lister throughout the 80s. And uh, in the 90s, you know, it was like more or less the same. But Mick Jagger would host SNL as much as fucking Alec Baldwin would. But would you say the fan base for Rolling Stones is as rabid as the Kiss fan base? No, I wouldn't say it. Like, I think the, the rabid Stones face is like young younger rock and roll nerds and stuff like that that actually like dive deep into exile and uh and uh sticky fingers and like that mid set like we talk about like classic eras like with kiss it's that 70s period with the rolling stones you it's kind of like uh you have basically throughout the set i would say like the entire 70s uh releases they're, they're pretty solid and there's like bits there's like a parts in the late 60s where like their their deca era record uh you know, era where uh, you could pick and choose from too, like her Satanic uh, Majesty's Request and all that. Right. So I think uh, Catalog kind of triumphs over Kiss as far as a Rolling Stones debate. Okay. All right. Uh, This is another argument against uh, decades. Mm -hmm. They came out in the 60s. Branding is not what it is then and what it is now. Kiss jumped on it quickly. Yeah. uh, Like the Beatles did. But Rolling Stones had a different plot. I think they were kind of, uh, they didn't hop onto it until like uh, the late 60s, early 70s, where yeah. they started sticking they the, a, uh, the, the, the their own rope. Ro- the Rolling Stones also had a different kind of focus than what Kiss was doing. Yeah. yeah. Kiss was the stage show. This was, we're bringing it to the city. Mm-hmm. We're, sh- we're going to show them what we're about, period. Rolling Stones was like, I want to show you what we're doing and where we got it from. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do the Howlin' Wolf, mm-hmm. Otis Redding. We're going to let them all take our songs and take whatever the fuck they want from them because we want to hear our the people who inspired us play our songs yeah because that's the biggest i think the biggest form oh yeah uh, the stage show didn't come later and where they would have like guest singers like yeah. they would have like say tina turner get on stage and with their them. and their their rapid fan base is different from a kiss army mm-hmm. fan base now you see the kiss army shirts the bands whatever the face makeup the rolling stones they had all the women yeah. <laughs> so did Kiss, man. Oh yeah, I, I, <laughs> but their fans were just as rabid. I'd argue a in Rush the sixties. They were just as rabid. I'd argue a Rush fan base was more rabid. We're not than talking about Rolling Rush, Stones. <laughs> but that was all dudes. <laughs> we will be, uh, <laughs> but you know, with just relevance to now, I will say Kiss takes it just because with their style of performance live carries on. 
to what it should be nowadays. <laughs> really? I was going to say, as far as relevance now, you don't hear a lot of Kiss songs in movies. I'm talking about stage show. Oh, okay. Fair this, enough. This is, this is the final they took for me on this one. Okay. Unless he can make another argument. <laughs> I got a few. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cap, you chose last. This is Rush versus the Stooges. Alex will choose which he which one he wants to defend. I know nothing on Rush, so I'll take Stooges. God damn it. All right. All right. Well, tell me a story about the Stooges and well, why they're better than Rush. <laughs> well, as I kind of mentioned before, kind of giving Cap a little bit of credence, that Henry Rollins story. Again, you cannot be Iggy. It you know I, it's kind of it's kind of no no perk came with sticks <laughs> <laughs> can beat him to fucking death with sticks. You talk about a powerful front man. I mean the man got peanut butter, rubbed it on himself, and was in the middle of an audience. You look at that footage; they are literally holding him up by his legs. That is raw power when you can step into an audience and they will just hold you up by your legs. That it. That, at that exact moment, you have the audience. You can basically do whatever the fuck you want at that point. They are in it. They are with it. And Iggy brought that to every show. And even the stuff that Henry was talking about, the dude is like fucking... You look like you would like... And he would just blow over and just like crack every bone in his body. Yet, he is the fucking lizard man. He is a monkey on stage. He is bouncing all over the place in his old age and can still bring it to this day it's just he is the antithesis of that era of rock and roll period and that's all i gotta say about iggy pop <laughs> so explain to me how uh with violence that rush will beat this motherfucking dog into submission see rush see rush see rush i'm not i'm not, I'm not I haven't decided yet see <laughs> see send all send all the hate see, mail to chris <laughs> see rush has not uh themselves Stand no chance in a fight against Iggy Pop, but we talk about fan bases and how, like, say, a Kiss fan base is rabid as fuck. I would say the Rush fan base is the second most rabid fan base. Rabid or nerdy? Both. <laughs> they will fucking airbase all over Iggy Pop's ass. <laughs> Ooh, so threatening. <laughs> now, no. would you say the fan base? Could you say? Could you argue that Stooges could fill a stadium? Could could he rally, boot and rally enough fans to come to? Depends Detroit? on the city. Detroit, sure, yeah, but that would be it. Yeah, that, that's why. That's why I say depends on the city. Montreal for the rush. Montreal, well, shit, rush when they were uh, when they were touring, they were. I mean, they were doing okay. They were still playing arenas and stadiums and things like that. They were a stadium rock act. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, Iggy's still a big pull. I mean, I have to give it to both bands. Both bands would still be a big pull today if booked. I mean, mm -hmm. unfortunately, not you know with Rush, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but with uh, Rush, there's like the uh, that it's that out it speaks to that outsider that outcast thing, much like the Stooges too. But I think more on like like lyrically, like we talk about with Spear of the Radio and Subdivisions. There's like that uh, that cult following that uh, you know fills those stadiums and it's mostly you know middle-aged dudes with, <laughs> with glasses yeah, but, and baseball but, tees but if we're talking about song content you know that that's all wizards and dragons and mythological shit iggy's singing about raw power he's singing about fucking he's singing about fighting he he is the antithesis of the teenage rebellion on tape 
You know, it's like but I'm not doing coke to the Stooges. I'm doing heroin. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you know, it's like yes, great. You you, you read Lord of the Rings, and now you want to write no, a that's Led Zeppelin. It. <laughs> it's like you know, great. You know, now you want to write a record about it. But it's like I don't know. For me personally, it feels like Iggy speaks on a much larger level of the human condition, even more than Rushwood. It's like with Stooges, it's more of like a vibe, really. Like he puts, he sets. The Stooges music sets a mood for like sex and violence. Mm-hmm. Where like Rush, it's like a you know soundscape. It's prog, it's prog rock. It's prog rock, <laughs> and they're going to tell you about uh you know you know the last book that they read and what it means to them and that kind of thing. It's Mark, nerds. Mark, it's very nerdy. It's very nerdy. <laughs> but Us punkers beat up nerds, and those nerds become bankers and bankrupt you. So you die of a heroin overdose. <laughs> and, 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 Iggy is still and, kicking. And buy, damn it! And buy and buy tickets to at least twenty Rush shows on the net. On the <laughs> Much like Kiss fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Rush is the only other band that kind of has that. Outside of like Kiss and the Grateful Dead, Rush has that kind of following. Yeah. Maybe the Stones too. Yeah. Would you say the Stooges, though, uh, when they came on the scene, had a unique relevance? Was there another punk band out there, such as the Sex Pistols, that gave, that gave them their, you know... Not really. I- Iggy was one-to-one. Iggy, Iggy was giving it before all that. I mean, you had other bands like Alice Cooper kind of doing shit, which he was almost made my list, but I just... The shock rock and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, he he was kind of doing some stuff, but there, there was really no one else like Iggy at that time. You had other maybe Sonic similarities with maybe some garage bands of the 60s. Yeah, the MC5 that kind of like uh, were kind of like the, the other the brother band to the Stooges because mm-hmm. they both came out of Michigan, Detroit, and Arbor But even area. MC5 and Iggy had very different stage personalities mm-hmm. and songs. Yeah, it was like with Stooges it was sex and violence. It was uh, MC5 it was like uh, it was violence and, and violence. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're going to kill all your leaders with our uh, music yeah. kind of thing. Now Rush however with Alex Lifeson and all them when they get no pert is there a prog band that's even close to them at that time because this is this is, this is, mm-hmm. this is kind of what's based on my thing because the Stooges very unique but punk rock is you know budding buddy I think prog rock's doing the same thing yeah. with Russia Rise now mm-hmm. is there was there a band that could have went toe to toe I think uh, with that time period as far as like you know bands that were kind of like trying to take things to the next level as far as progressive rock I think Rush had a lot more in common with Led Zeppelin than say Yes, or Genesis, or something like I could that. I'd agree with Where that. I'd agree with that. Or like uh, with a Yes and Genesis, there's a lot more uh, orchestral kind of arrangements and uh, a lot of more. It's a lot more cerebral. With Genesis, it was a lot more cerebral and a lot more English than, mm-hmm. uh, like, say, uh, than Rush. And with uh, with Yes, I think it was it was more about the soundscapes and the uh, orchestral arrangements. I'm not a huge Yes fan, so I can't break down the minutia well enough to have a proper debate on it's it. It's okay if you have a bad taste in music. <laughs> no, I like yes. I just haven't done a, that much of a deep dive on it. I was you're surra- not a fan. No, I'm just not a fan. But I was surrounded by Genesis. You're a no. <laughs> you're a goddamn no fan. But with Rush comes, you know, that knowledge of like yes and Genesis and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and King Crimson, and those were I would say maybe their contemporaries. But I would argue that uh, with Rush. Kiss was more of a contemporary, or like Led yeah, Zeppelin was honestly, more of a contemporary, even though they, not musically, but like in the zeitgeist, that, they had more of a harder edge. Even though the lyrics didn't really portray as much, the music definitely had more of a harder edge because you know they were emulating Led Zeppelin more than um, you know whoever uh, Yes was trying to emulate. Gotcha. Uh, the Stooges take this one. All right. Reasonings on that one, just because it feels. I've always felt punk rock is rock, mm-hmm. yeah, but hard rock. 
You know, even if they didn't come up with the word fucking punk, it's metal. Yeah. It's metal. It's guys bouncing around trying to be Mick Jagger every fucking <laughs> second. <laughs> and, and he was trying to be fucking James Brown. So, yeah. You want a performance, you go to a show. Mm. Now, if I play drums for a living, yeah, fuck them. Rush is going the way. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to piss a friend of mine because she plays drums. So, uh, last one. Uh, this is a coin flip. All uh, right. Call it in the air, Cap. Uh, heads. Tails. Alex, you get to pick first. David Bowie versus Tom Petty. Ooh. I'll give this one the cap. I'll take Bowie. Okay. Defend. Defend Tom Petty versus David Bowie. So I know you're def- – because I feel like you're the bigger Tom Petty fan I'll, rather than Bowie. So you're taking Bowie. I'll take Bowie. Okay, because uh, – Tell me a story about Tom Petty. Well – And side note, do you want another drink? I'm good. Okay. But with, I can hear you in the kitchen. Okay. But with uh, Tom Petty versus Bowie, uh, again, it's that uh, – that, longevity thing and uh having a catalog of songs that people are still singing until the end of time mm-hmm. i think tom petty's catalog has a lot more uh has a lot has a lot more to offer than like you know david bowie would if you were going to go see a david bowie show there may not be as many hits for anybody to sing along to as much as tom petty show would and uh that's a hard it's also like comparing ap- apples and oranges as well but um with uh i think with tom petty there's more of a it's different because it's an American f- folky thing at its core meets, you know, English rock. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you know, there's plenty of English rock with Bowie, but there's also a lot of, like, club elements to David Bowie's t- to David Bowie as well. And I know a lot of more, a lot more rock and roll audiences are going to gravitate towards more tw- uh, to the English rock, the guitar bass, the, uh, the Chuck Berry-ness of, like, say, a Tom Petty music. Or even, like, a Bob Dylan-ness kind of uh, vibe to Tom Petty's music where, like, uh, Bowie's, you know... Talk speak... Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of elements to Bowie's music that's kind of over the place. You kind of have to pick and choose where to start from with a David Bowie catalog. You have to kind of pick your era. Like, what's your favorite era to start well, let's, with? Let's, you know, because we're getting this is the final four. Mm-hmm. It's going to come down mm-hmm. to the final two. Uh, let's let's go greatest hits. All right, greatest hits of Bowie versus greatest hits of Petty. Okay, tell me tell me why you think those. Do you think they were on par? With David Bowie's greatest hits, if you could I, think of just like five songs, I would. Well, I would say, uh, well, you hear those played back to back on like radio stations and stuff like that all the time. You can hear "Free Fallen," then hear like uh, say "Space Oddity." Here, I'll I'll, I'll do you a favor. I'll pull up Tom Petty. I'll do I'll do your trick and pull up Tom Petty and look at his most played tracks. You got "Free Fallen," "Won't Back Down," "Wildflowers," "Running Down a Dream," and "Don't Know How It Feels." That's just from the Tom Petty. And, and for uh, David Bowie, his most played songs. Oh, and you also got American Girl, Mary Jane's Last Dance, Learn to Fly, Refugee, and Breakdown. Because he has it split between Tom Petty and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. So with uh, David Bowie, you've got Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then from a, a very, uh, another... These are all... The top five are all like from different eras, too, which, mm-hmm. is, which is weird. So you got Starman that's at number two from the Ziggy Stardust era. Then you've got Rebel Rebel from... Uh, Diamond Dogs, Dog, yeah. which is, I think, one of the more underrated David Bowie records. And you've got uh, Space, Space Oddity, Oddity and then Let's Dance from the 80s. And I think all those Tom Petty hits are a lot better than Let's Dance. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. We're throwing down the gauntlet on Let's Dance. All right. I'll pick, uh-huh. that, I'll pick that up then. Let's Dance is a prime example of a musician taking a new genre and going, 
Here's my take on it. Because, and it didn't really come out of nowhere. I mean, he's always kind of had that dancey kind of vibe to his music. And if we want to go on, you know, greatest hit stuff, I mean, Rebel Rebel, you just changed the production of that some, and it's a dance song. Yeah. Basically, did a Rolling Stones song. It could have been a Rolling Stones song. So, again, it just goes to show that the type of music he was writing genuinely is timeless because you can put it in any genre and make it work. But we're going to dance the blues. I, I didn't say that song. Let's dance is not the same. Let's dance is a good song though. And That's what I'm saying. He has that lyric. Let, it's like let's put on your uh, whatever well, shoes and dance the, other, the blues. Well, I thought you're uh, referencing the uh, that other song. Sorry. No, no. Even Frank Zappa made fun of it in a song <laughs> called "Be in My Video," and he goes, "We'll dance the blues again." <laughs> And no, and and if we're really kind of drawn as a comparison between his discography and Tom Petty's, as much as I've really grown to appreciate Tom over the last few years, I do have to say it took me a while to fall into it. Whereas with Bowie, it hit me almost immediately as a kid, whether it be Space Oddity, Let's Dance, Surf Forget City. All these songs hit me in a way that I was like, I don't know why I like this, but I do. I still don't like Free Fallen. No, I can give a fuck about Free Fallen. <laughs> I still don't like that song. Mary Jess Lance Dance and You Wreck Me and Won't Back Down or Saving Grace are totally different things, but probably his biggest hit, Free Fallen, it's I like, can't stand. It's kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody where it's like, and rock and roll all night where like yeah. those songs are going to be played forever and ever and ever. Whereas you go to a Bowie set and you're guaranteed countless hits because Space Oddity would still be in the set list. Starman would be. Changes. Suffragists. Uh, Ziggy Stardust. Gene Jenny. Rebel Rebel. All these songs you would hear them play live. They didn't get really cycled out. So if you want to hear a greatest hit set, dude, go to a David Bowie show. He'll play you the hits because they're all hits. There's a dirtiness and there's like a more of a... There's like a... Uh, there's that 50s blues rock and roll vibe that Tom Petty always kept with his band. And particularly mm-hmm. with, I think uh, with um, Tom Petty, you can't not mention uh, Mike Campbell if we're talking about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yep. Because Mike Campbell is playing all those guitar parts on all of those solo records, too. That's him playing on Free Fallin' and Running Down the Dream and everything that's credited with Tom Petty being a solo act. The only time that he's the only member from the Heartbreakers that's on those records, too, because he knew how to write a song, too. I didn't realize this until the other day that he wrote. Uh, the, he wrote the music to Boys of Summer for fucking Don Henley. And that leads me into something else. A lot of times, these really popular songs of his, I didn't know were his. Yeah. You know a David Bowie song as soon as you hear it. Man, that's the same thing with uh, with Tom Petty. That's, he's pulling a lot from like the birds, and there's a lot of, uh, what's the guy, this is like David Crosby kind of stuff. And uh, with uh, the 12-string Rickenbacker thing, there's a sound that's kind of identified with Tom Petty as well. There's like a, an aesthetic. There's like a certain, like, you know, when you think of like a Rickenbacker 12-string guitar, you picture either Tom Petty or like George Harrison or something like that. Yeah. And with David Bowie, it's more like the, the his look, his individual look, his, uh, you know, the way he presented himself, like the fashion of all of it. That's kind of, uh, that's just as iconic as the music. That's, uh, you know, uh, that Tom Petty really doesn't have either. But I don't know if that takes 
I don't know if that takes away from the music at all, but that's just an interesting thing to observe. It is. That, that's see, that's a tough one because I really do like both. So I'm just like, I, I don't want to. I know rip it's, on a hard, Tom. it's I don't want to rip on Tom. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard debate, but I'd say I'd say more uh, folks are uh, using Tom Petty's songwriting um, tropes more so, even though Tom Petty's using Beatles tropes and Bob Dylan tropes and stuff like that. You hear a lot more Tom Petty in popular music these days than you would say David Bowie. I'll pull this card. David Bowie made it okay for the freaks to be freaks. That was I would arguably read to that first. In his own way, yes, but but Bowie was a lot more outward with his freakiness. Oh, yeah. But Bowie was uh, put up. Uh, uh, Bowie was kind of responsible for Lou Reed's superstardom. Like he mm-hmm. produced Bowie produced "Walk on the Wild Side" too, which made Lou Reed a superstar. Hey, so. baby! All the <laughs> and all the. And all the something something girls say. I know you, you, still, you, you still hear that on the radio unedited. And who produced Iggy's record? Uh, that was David Bowie as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tom Petty's circle, but Tom, but Tom Petty's circle included. Uh, let's see, Roy Orbison okay. to a point, okay. George Harrison, okay. Bob Dylan, and uh, Jeff Lynne from ELO. Well, damn, even everyone's little hang-ons were still respectable. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what you get when you go up this high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say I can't really listen to a uh, Bowie song while watching a girl get kidnapped in a horror movie. Like, <laughs> like in Silence of the Lambs. So what, you can't hear changes during that? <laughs> can you help me put this couch in this van? <laughs> no, I can, I can Turn and face the strange, Chris. No, I can, I can hear uh, American Girl, though. Yeah. <laughs> she was just American girl in a hole. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is actually a really hard one. I almost wanted to flip a coin. <laughs> um, but just because of just the icon himself. I'll take mm-hmm. Bowie. All right. All right. Fair enough. Now, I can't be I can't be mad at either one. It's like both are great. <laughs> They're both my picks. <laughs> well, I was about you during the Led Zeppelin one. True. <laughs> so I think we evened out final, again, didn't we? Kinda. Uh, our final four is Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. Kiss, Stooges, and Bowie. Ooh. It is evened out. This yep. two for me, two for him. So uh how do you guys want to do this last because it comes to this, and then it's the, the one on one. Final round. I don't know how we want to do. It. You're you're the host. God damn. It's your All game, right. buddy. I'll tell you what. Just to keep with the trend. keep with the coin, with the coin trick. All right. Yeah. Alex, call it heads, tails, cap. All right. Led Zeppelin versus Bowie. Led Zeppelin versus Bowie. Okay. Well, I would argue that in this time period where uh, both Led Zeppelin and David Bowie are putting out records, Bowie and his Ziggy Stardust era, mind you, in the early 70s, was it 1971 where uh, Ziggy Stardust came out? I'll double check, but that sounds right. Yeah, it was early 70s where the Led Zeppelin guitar sound is already pretty prominent, that big, beefy Les Paul tone that Jimmy Page is associated with. On uh, let's say this is 1971, so this would have been yeah, uh, Led Zeppelin three or four around this time. So yeah, you had Rise and Fall of Ziggy in '72 and then Aladdin Sane in '73. Okay, so House of the Holy is already out too. Goddamn! All right, so it's four Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so four Led Zeppelin albums before uh, either uh, so either at least three before this uh, four Ziggy Stardust came out. So you're hearing his guitar player uh, Mick Ronson 
emulate that Les Paul sound that Jimmy Page is becoming famous for. And it's all that next step up from that blues rock. That's the thing about Led Zeppelin that uh, that they should be that will always get credit for, and that they deserve their spot in the history of rock. They elevated hard rock into a new plateau with Jimmy Page's guitar style and John Bonham's drums. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, it's that just dirty bluesy gritty uh, full meaty thick guitar sound that not a lot of people were doing you know in the Beatles when the Beatles did it it was very twangy very chimey mm-hmm. and all that and then it wasn't until like maybe uh, I think you have you know Cream and Eric Clapton were doing similar things but they were playing with like different like you know f- bluesy tones it was more blues rock but then with uh, Led Zeppelin it became more heavy rock and very like you know kind of more slinky if you will there's a little bit more of like a uh, it's like with a whole lot of love you know people can Ew. dance to it say so people can dance to it there's like a you know uh a, it's blues but it's also dance but it's also heavy and that's kind of what uh david bowie's vibe was when he was putting together ziggy stardust well that's what i was gonna say it's like led zeppelin elevated rock and roll bowie elevated anything he touched any right. genre he touched he gave it that extra little sheen you know even i mean he hell he took a iggy pop song and made it better china girl yeah, it's like you know, it's like he can well, he co-wrote take, that with it. You too. He, he co-wrote it, but it's like you compare it next to Iggy's version, and I'm sorry, as much as I love Iggy, Bowie's version is supreme. I every, agree every fucking day. I agree with you on that and, one, and I and I even go with this far too. His co-write with Mott the Hoople, all the young dudes. I like Bowie's version better. That live version, the live version, or the studio version. Now I've played oh, it yeah, for I played uh, it for uh, other people and they were like sounds boring it sounds like he's like singing it in a hotel room lobby and I'm like no nah, I don't know I like Bowie's kind of lackadaisical approach to it to the point where it gets to the all the young dudes it's like he's kind of doing almost a falsetto thing and it's really cool but again that also falls under the thing of look at all that Bowie's done all the co-writes all the producing for all of these legendary acts even bands that we have on this list like Iggy Pop and um, Lou Reed Lou was on Reed. there too it's, and I feel like there was one more too he had a hand in um, I just can't think of it right off but still so many oh Queen yeah yeah so and Rolling Stones because uh, he did the song with Mick Jagger that's one thing about Led Zeppelin so though there was all it's kind of like Kiss where there was like the mystery behind them Led Zeppelin still kind of had that uh kept that mystery about them where like they hardly ever do interviews when people were uh, putting out concert DVDs and stuff like that we didn't get a whole lot of that from Led Zeppelin except for like maybe one time and even, even then there's like maybe a couple of at least interviews. Bowie didn't make the song remains the same video Oh, that concert. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Have you watched the, uh, did you watch the uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars uh, concert video? No. Is it worse than that even? Because I, I tried watching it's, all the, the song remains the same when I was a teenager and I'm like, the fuck is this? <laughs> every, every 70s concert video is the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's cool. If you're, a, if you're a fan of David Bowie, check out the Spiders from oh, Mars yeah. uh, concert video for sure. The Mark, Mark Ronson is, fu- Mick Ronson is fucking killing it on the, uh, uh, Moon Age Daydream solo on that, but anyway, uh, with Led Zeppelin, there's that uh, mis- that there was that mystique for uh, around them too, where like you didn't know what they were going to do uh, or what they were or uh, what you didn't know if they were uh, worshiping the devil or like doing this, that, and the other. There was kind of that satanic element to Led Zeppelin that was always in mystery because like Jimmy Page would buy. Alistair Crowley's house at one point in the mid 70s too and rumors would like come out that he was uh, performing rituals and stuff like that too to where David Bowie 
took that shit seriously. Like, he thought Jimmy Page was a fucking warlock. <laughs> well, I was going to say, was Bowie not secretive and kind of aloof also? I mean, he did interviews, but he, he would always give, you know, backward answers or be very, you know, intellectual with it. So it's like they couldn't really get a read on him either. He was this really weird artistic guy that seemed to be very intelligent, you know, and, you know, even down to the point that he never got his teeth fixed. He liked the imperfection of his teeth. He's hey, like, yeah, my teeth. yeah, he's like, they're not straight, but they're the ones I've got, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like, he was never interested in that aspect of it yet. He cultivated this mystery around him to where you didn't know what he was going to do next. I think it's easier to kind of like, uh, or it might be harder to preserve your like, and then if you're a solo act, whereas as a, where if it's a group of four guys, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. And I think a lot of that mystery kind kind of like surrounded Jimmy Page more than the others. I think it would, uh, what was the, uh, the David Bowie kept like a, like a, a jar of piss or something like that with fingernail clippings yeah. from Jimmy Page himself just, just in case his Jimmy Page used his warlock powers against him because Jimmy Page the thing about rock and roll in the early 70s that's fascinating is that everybody dabbled into the occult I think that'd was, be a fun episode for us to do is the occult of the 70s of rock and roll everybody did Bowie Zeppelin the Stones oh yeah all took that shit seriously. Yeah, but I think uh, David Bowie did to the nth degree, and I think uh, I think and uh, you have to be serious about your art cap. Yeah, he was <laughs> it almost and almost killed him. He, he doesn't yep. remember recording station to station, <laughs> but it's fucking great. <laughs> but with uh, with Led Zeppelin too, I think we talk about production and stuff like that. One of my favorite sounds is on Led Zeppelin four with the uh, the drums on when the levee breaks where it's just all recorded in a house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get one of the most iconic drum sounds ever with when the levee breaks. And it's moments like that that really stand out production wise with like you know with David Bowie there's a lot of icon- iconic uh, production and things like that too. But I can't he think he was a producer. He was a producer, but he worked with Tony Viscotti on like say uh, Ziggy Stardust and mm-hmm. stuff like that too. And uh, who was it? Was Brian Eno? I think that he did Heroes with, yeah, and all that. And that's a whole other like set of minutia we can get down. But uh, with uh, Led Zeppelin versus Bowie, I think the the bigness of the productions in a lot of ways, especially on those first uh, everything up through Physical Graffiti, just because they were a big bad rock band the bigness of those records kind of uh you know doesn't dwarf the bowie records the bowie records so the are the bigness own of the records or the bigness of the person because bowie was mm. larger than life well so we're uh jimmy pa- so we're uh, everybody in led zeppelin robert plant and jimmy page more so but there you go there you go all right chris now when you say it when you we were just talking about david bowie mm-hmm. i don't see him being secreted at all Really, I believe you know, his whole persona is flamboyance. Mm-hmm. Uh, his personal life was very secretive; like you didn't know much about him at all. Yeah, but like, it's like was he gay? Was he straight? Is he an alien? He kind of kept all that anonymous. Yeah, but like he, he still is flamboyance. That's what makes him the better frontman. You know, that's why I consider David Bowie being a better frontman than say Robert Plant. Okay, Robert Plant though can sing his ass off (laughs) and scream you into the occult (laughs) you will join and I will say I will say you know with David Bowie with his flamboyance and his more eccentric lyrics Mm -hmm. to some of his songs but he still has jams like jam songs to me like golden years yeah you know that is a that's a funny fucking song. To me. Like, like, wow, really, David Bowie? Really? Yeah. This, this fucking like jam session song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? But Led Zeppelin, goddamn. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The mothership itself, that whole album is nothing but greatest hits. But that also accompanies, you know, David Bowie coming in and out of the spotlight. Yeah, much like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, uh, the only thing Led Zeppelin really has over David Bowie, uh, other than content itself, uh, and there's not really much branding when it came to Led Zeppelin. There was the albums, mm-hmm. album covers, mm-hmm. and, and people, the blimp. And people, yeah, people would cherry pick that, or like the little symbols that are on Led Zeppelin. Yeah, for. yeah. And David Bowie, you know, has the lightning bolt, but he also has other other qualities, you know, yeah. that become before and after that. Yeah, um, this is a very hard pick, uh, but just for being an icon alone. I may have to take Bowie over Led Zeppelin. Ooh. All right, you are the you are the decider. Don't worry, we're going to do this with country music too. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Kick your ass. <laughs> I have to find a uh, decider on that one because I'm not as yeah yeah there you go. No, I'll tell you about country all you want, man. <laughs> or send me Lord all knows the, I do. <laughs> or send me all the lists and I'll do some cramming and do my own personal picks from that. All right, uh, you had Led Zeppelin first, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. Alex. Mm. I need you to defend Kiss mm-hmm. from the Stooges. <laughs> oh, ouch! All right, let me ask: Can they beat? Can they beat him? I'm just can curious. Paul beat Iggy. Kenny is twice as big as. <laughs> that's just with shoes. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's because they're wearing shoes, <laughs> asshole. I was gonna say maybe step on them. <laughs> Iggy and Kiss, I feel. Even though come from very different eras, are almost cut from era, the era, 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 eras, <laughs> uh, are well different musical eras, not time eras, but they're almost cut from the same attitude cloth. If that makes sense, Iggy got up there yeah, and fuck just you. This is us, kind of basically because you know Kiss knew no other way. They rejected two record deals because they were like, "We love the music. You just need to take the makeup off." And they're like, "No, we're not doing that." For their very first album cover, they hired a professional photographer and makeup artist to take care of them so they can get all straightened out. And the set designer brought balloons and streamers, and they're like what's up with this? And he's like, oh, well, you're a bunch of clowns, right? And they're like, no, we're very serious about this. Take take this shit down. And they got it taken care of. So from the very beginning, Kiss had to fight to be accepted. Not even to be accepted. They had to fight to get what they wanted to get out of the music world. They had to fight to get the look they wanted. They had they put everything they owned on a MasterCard with very without a limit and fucking gotten a uh, what Russ always like correct station, station wagon and toured the US all on a credit card just to try to make that shit work. If that's not punk rock, I don't know what is. So you've got a band that eventually turns into this monolith rock and roll band that if those first records hadn't have eventually hit, we would be talking on them as a indie rock and roll band that was maybe punk rock because of the way they lived. Iggy actually had a leg up and actually had popularity. Kiss was just trucking along and trying to do the best they could, and they still succeeded, purely out of blood, sweat, and tears, and pure passion for what they believed in. Did Iggy get there like that, too? I'm absolutely sure, but it seemed as if his music hit a certain resonance faster that gave him a little bit more of a leg up to capture that youth imagination. Kiss had everything counting against them critics venue owners managers not even their personal managers but like managers of other groups going like no you're not going on tour with that kiss band they were getting shot down left and right 
and look at them today. Still probably in the top five highest grossing music acts, period. So we talk about that Rush lyric where there's glittering prizes and endless compromises. That's Kiss to an extent here and there, like the 80s and like, uh, you know, things that and the other. Of course, they had to make those decisions because of the circumstances they were in. Iggy just kind of keeps on trucking, you know, doing his own thing. But when it comes to his time with uh, the Stooges and those first uh, three records, yeah, it's the same thing with Kiss, where it's just middle fingers in the air. This is who I am. This is what we're going to do. And uh, it's hard to compare the two because it's two very different things. And it's two, you know, performing acts. These are two, mm-hmm. like, acts that, you know, have played together and everything, too. That would be a killer show. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there was, it was like a, uh, it was a, sh- it was a bill with Kiss, Blue Oyster Cult, and Iggy Pop. And, like, by all accounts, Iggy was already, like, you know, drunk, drunk every day, yep. high every day, you know, being a hot mess. But, I don't know, there's just something to me that, uh, I think it happens with a lot of folks where they try to, when they discover music that's not on the radio and that's not on TV. With me, uh, me, this is just speaking for me personally. When I first discovered, like, say, Funhouse by the Stooges, that blew me away because it didn't sound like anything I had heard before. And I thought it was the coolest shit ever because of it. It's like there's this fuzzed out guitar and there's this uh, guy that's just screaming, not even singing, he's just screaming, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking TVI where it's just like, <laughs> it's like, what is this? Like I mentioned on the Velvet Underground thing like what am i listening to i love it and with kiss it was it was a lot more accessible to me because i'd grown up around you know acdc and van halen and i discovered kiss after those Mm -hmm. and uh because i thought they were going to be you know way more heavy metal than they portrayed to be you hear that a lot from folks about how kiss you know kind of we have a friend of ours that talks about it too. My friend uh, Simon, he talks about how he was let down by Kiss because they look so you know menacing. They look like you know they should be a black metal band. And then but, all of a sudden it's wow! Let me tell you what you want right, to do. They sound, matter where they sound more like Grand Funk Railroad than you know Metallica or something like that. You and know? you let me know. Uh-huh. Whoa, whoa, whoa! And I love them both, but like the uh, the uniqueness of like the Stooges is what se- separates them. The uniqueness. From me. Kiss is unique as shit, motherfucker. I mean. Like, like I said, there's a lot of grand funk. You can see the influences of How Kiss a little bit more obviously. How many bands looked like Kiss? How many bands did the show that Kiss did? I'm just saying you can see the influences on Kiss a lot more obviously than you can see on the Stooges. Okay, sure, there's okay. a little bit of Jimi Hendrix with Ron Ashton, but you know, Ron Ashton couldn't play Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. But that's what made the Stooges sound his his uh, his uh, lack of ability and uh, everything that he uh, could do made the Stooges sound, and uh, that all comes from that Detroit backbeat that, you know, Kiss would try to emulate too. They were big Detroit rock fans. Yeah, but Peter was that jazz drummer and that gave it such a sound that none other, no other band at that time really had because he wanted that Bonham big sound but had a jazz background. So that created such an interesting element. That's kind of what the, uh, like what I was talking about with the Bill Ward uh, debate where it's like, you know, it's that jazz thing that's lost on a lot of modern drummers these days. Yeah. And uh, of course, like, you know, since uh, Scott Ashton came out in that, uh, in that time period where everybody was listening to jazz and a lot of Motown because they were in Michigan, that, added to the Stooges sound. So you got this hodgepodge of Motown rhythm with uh, lack of ability to play your instruments, but you still want to keep that backbeat, but not do blues either. That was one thing that Iggy wanted to do. If you listen to interviews and in about uh, the formation of the band, it's like, we don't want to do blues. Everybody's doing blues. We mm-hmm. want to do something completely different. And they did. And uh, that's why they're one of my uh, top three bands 
still to this day. Oh yeah, same. I mean, and that's why it makes this a difficult one. Is I love Stooges and Kiss, but I don't know. I've been I've been a Kiss Army member since I was ever since I figured out how to work a TV and put in that VHS tape. <laughs> well, I don't think the argument on these is uniqueness. Mm-hmm. They are both progenitors of everything else that came after. They they are showrunners. Yeah, yeah, of what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, like you had said before, they do give off a weird vibe when you what you're expecting <laughs> what you're seeing is not what you're getting <laughs> i will say that they look like they should be playing. listen to god of thunder <laughs> yeah. which one the, the song god of thunder which version the live one on destroyer not not a live version no, <laughs> the destroyer one's creepier yeah. uh i will say it seems like if i go if i see iggy pop's face or whatever the fuck on a poster Take that motherfucker legitimately going to kick my ass. Or he'll try. <laughs> <laughs> he'll get drunk as fuck and try to touch me. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever see a skinny meth head try to fight? Yeah, that's not good. He's got hey. he's got that Florida strong. Yeah, Florida strong. <laughs> that retard strength. Uh, I got to go with the Stooges. Oh, just because. Now, Kiss is the show. Mm-hmm. Is where I will go. But you show me a picture of Kiss and they don't play. What that looking like? <laughs> I'm gonna be very upset. Hey, this right. guy, the understood. Fuck is, these guys I, I like, respect it. These guys don't say like war at all. <laughs> <laughs> They're not talking about eating babies at all. They're talking about love me, love me fast or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Mr. Speed. <laughs> love Whatever. me sexy. Love me fast. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> all right, top two, the final round. Look at this. It's, what do we uh, got? It's David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Versus the Stooges. Bo- both uh, partners in crime at one point. Yeah. You guys want to like Rochambeau for who gets to talk first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I call heads. Heads? All right. Heads. Cap takes it. All right. Defend the Stooges. Against, well, they... David uh, fucking Bowie. Well, they made quite the impression on a young uh, David Jones, didn't they? That is David Bowie's real name. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Humble brag, humble brag. As as Alex nods his head. I couldn't remember. (laughs) And then he just says Iggy Pop's real name, which is like Charles Lee Ray or something. No, it's actually... it's, it's, It's actually... Uh, James Osterberg. Yeah. <laughs> His friends call him Jim. You don't have friends no more. What's that? You don't have friends no more. <laughs> but no, they. Uh, if there weren't a Stooges, they were, I would argue there wouldn't be a David Bowie. If there was not a Stooges, there would not be quite a few bands on this list. There wouldn't yeah. be a Green Day. There wouldn't be a Ramones. There wouldn't be uh, a lot of... There wouldn't be a Blondie. There wouldn't be... A clash. There wouldn't be a Sex Pistols. There wouldn't be punk rock as we know it. There wouldn't be, you know, I pro- probably more impactful on punk than anything else because mm-hmm. that was their whole thing. They didn't want to be a blues rock. They want, didn't want to be a Led Zeppelin or anything like that. And they were kind of doing with the. I see a lot of. Uh, there's a lot in common with uh, Iggy and Jim Morrison from the Doors, as far as like being that. Uh, you know, being that performer and all that. But I don't want to get into in the weeds. I will say about, none of us have chose the Doors. No. No. <laughs> and no. I, and I share a last name with the asshole. <laughs> I had a Doors phase when I was in high school for sure. I had one for a year. <laughs> I was never thought about being a sexual predator, so <laughs> I did not have a phase. Her, her, her. <laughs> no. It, well, so, yes. All 100% valid points. And Stooges, 
next to probably the Ramones and Sex Pistols, probably had the biggest footprint on punk rock, period. The Stooges were there first. And exactly what he was saying, you know, without that band, so many of these bands, including Bowie, probably we would maybe still get a Bowie, but it probably would not have been what we got. It definitely helped shape the character in which we know today. But by that same token, you know, we talked about, you know, where other bands walk so others could run. Yes, Bowie led the way for the rest of the freaks to feel comfortable and get out and do their thing a lot more than maybe say some other bands and the other artists I can really think of that kind of campaigned and was just like let your freak flag fly were people like Debbie Harry and Prince you know there was this upbringing of all these different people being like hey you're weird and that's great make art you know. So I'll be very curious to see where the artistic landscape would be if we didn't have a Bowie, because even someone that maybe wasn't directly affected by him in a musical aspect, say someone that has no musical talent whatsoever, can look at Bowie during his multiple stages and maybe get artistic inspiration. And all of a sudden, his aura and his art has now created a canvas you know, and then maybe it also created a song and now maybe it created an image or a look. You know, he influenced so many different small aspects where the Stooges had such an impact on the musical culture at the time. I feel like Bowie had a widening reach of acceptance and community, uh, acceptance for different styles of music and just having that broader reach of check this shit out. And it all comes from, I think it all comes from the Stooges, too, where like uh, Bowie uh, definitely took that and wanted to expand like in all those communities and all those artistic uh, landscapes and everything that you said. With, with the Stooges, though, they were already freaks. Yeah. <laughs> they had no choice but to be the freaks that they were on record. Very true. And Very that's, true. And that's what adds to the, uh, that's what adds to uh, the, the, greatness. the greatness of the Stooges and hell, man, right? I can't argue these. I love both of these. That's why I'm even giving you props. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I love but both it's of these bands like, so much. It's like the Stooges are like the ground zero for a lot more things than uh, I guess that that than every famous band that's kind of like famous that's uh, into the counterculture that's come out since the Stooges, whether it's a David Bowie or a Lou Reed or the Ramones or even a Kurt Cobain or like a Sonic Youth or even like a Jack White or like any of those uh, or anybody since maybe uh, uh, they all cite Stooges as a huge influence like a top influence because that was the thing like it's they raw let their power baby raw, <laughs> it's raw power made by a couple of raw freak by a bunch of raw freaks that didn't give a damn and flew that middle finger and just performed shirtless and just got in your face and just made the most aggressive music ever mm-hmm. and that's hard but then on the other flip side of the coin you also have the Andy Warhol types that maybe aren't as interested in that but then where that's where a David Bowie slips in and is like well I have a counter argument to that how about the spaceman and you know all this other stuff it's like he he kind of brought a different element to it that sure Iggy Stooges and a bunch of other bands at the time were freaks and that's all they knew and that's you know what their greatness was Bowie weaponized his weirdness. Yeah, he, he did what just, to do. He didn't just go, hey, I'm weird. He went, I'm weird and you're going to have to fucking deal with it. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what he did. He knew how to flip it and become and make himself into a superstar with it and yeah. you know, network within the biz and stuff like that. I think uh, Iggy Pop and Lou Reed are probably like the biggest uh, 
artists of that time period yep. that were like legit, you know, quote unquote freaks mm-hmm. that, you know, could, that made. And, and when the we use the term art. freak, it's like, it's so like vanilla today because basically freak meant back then like you had some different colored hair and you didn't dress exactly the way everyone else does it's like now that's like okay yeah that's Jim down the road <laughs> you know so it's like the definition of freak back then was even very different than it is now so yeah you're totally right but yeah it's hard to compare the two because they're so like intertwined with each other in their careers and their uh, their uh, legacy and like hell Bowie even got uh, re- re- produced raw power and uh, mixed it and everything <laughs> and Chris too. was like it's hard for y'all it ain't for me yeah. <laughs> uh, just a quick just a quick uh, synopsis of the bands we blew through yes uh, the Ramones Kiss Misfits Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Blondie Thin Lizzy Turbo Negro Sex Pistols Super Suckers Dwarves Social Distortion Sweet uh, GBH uh, Johnny Cash Johnny Cash and I'm trying to remember the other one Green Day Green Day those were Alex's picks. Mm-hmm. Solid picks. A lot of punk because it's Alex. Yes. Uh, Judas Priest, White Stripes, MC5, Motorhead, The Band, Rush, Van Halen, not Van Hagar. <laughs> <laughs> no. Velvet Underground, Led Zeppelin, Queen, New York Dolls, Beatles, The Who, Rolling Stones, and Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And let's see who stands between <laughs> the last two. David Bowie. And Iggy and the Stooges. Are these the two greatest artists of all time? <laughs> and rock. Maybe. I have to say, being a fan of a show called Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. these two people show up. <laughs> Iggy and Bowie? Yes. Uh, and they're like villains. They are villains, villains. And they literally try to kill someone together. <laughs> I love I it. See this. And like, he's like ripping off his, you know, he's Iggy Pop's ripping off his clothes like hey man i got a heart full of napalm (laughs) (laughs) and then you know the cotillion version of david bowie in the later version Uh of bowie where it's like a three-piece suit Uh pinstripes and shit slick as fuck kind of looking like a bond villain yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh uh-huh his his catchphrase in that show is bowie and he just turns into an eagle and flies away (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's tremendous be, I, I am surprised it came down to these two. Me too. <laughs> and you know, we leave a lot on the floor too. We've there are a lot of bands that are not on this list at all. Oh yeah, honorary mention Alice Cooper. Uh, I, I was kind of kicking myself like as soon as I sat down, I was like, "Fuck, yeah. I should have put Cooper in." Alice Cooper. I didn't surprised I didn't put CCR on mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. CCR. Uh, Jimi Hendrix himself. Yep. So there's a bunch of. Or we could revisit this. Yeah. Um, but when I think of rock. I think of Bowie. Oh, oh, okay. That was not going where I thought it was not, going. Not with you know. It's not because I'm not a fan of the Stooges because I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. Fair enough, fair I, enough. I, I, I do respect. I do respect punk bands. Yeah. All right. They are. They are one of the most hardest working rock bands out there. They're yeah. the James Brown of rock bands. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to you know the fight or flight type situation. And they if come we did into. individual art, well, it's rock, so I couldn't put James Brown on there. But well, you put Johnny Cash on there, so yeah. Yeah, but Johnny Cash is a progenitor of rock. Yeah. Uh, because if you sped up Folsom City Blues or Cocaine Blues. It's fucking punk rock. I hear yeah. Johnny come, come around to me. People, <laughs> like, like people Cocaine Blues. This bitch talked down to me. I did a fucking line and blew her ass away. <laughs> yeah. It's no different. I than, love country! Yeah, yeah. Punk rock bands are still covering his songs today. 
Well, hot damn, the something good for you couch potatoes bracket has now declared David Bowie as the overall bracket winner. Yay, congratulations, David Bowie. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for sticking with us this entire time. This has been fun. I'm sure we're going to do this again as another little multi-parter in the future, and this is a fun way to kind of cross over multiple episodes. So subscribe to both Something Good For You and The Couch Brotatoes for future craziness, and there's no reason for any sort of what have you been listening to. This whole episode has been what have we been listening to. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Something Good For You and coming up with this killer game for us to play. And I Cap, fly. do you have any sort of fucking outro for us? Play all of these bands, more so the Stooges, because they need the numbers. Yeah, and, che- and check the episode uh, description. We'll make a little playlist of like the best two songs from yeah, each band and I make like a big that. ass playlist out of all of them. I'm into that. I'll pick some obscure queen shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something good network. <laughs>